0: Live from D1 Abilene, it's Docs and Jocks, brought to you by Buffalo Wild
1: Wings. Here's your host, Dr. Dan. Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. Great to have you with us today. If you're just catching our show for the very first time, we are a sports entertainment show that does it from a sports medicine niche. I'm a long-time sports medicine physician with Texas Sport & Spine. and been doing the uh, sports medicine uh, doctor gig for about the last 20 years. I do here on air what I do on my day job. and really just talk about different injuries that may have occurred to one of your favorite players, uh, shoulder, knee, hip, back injury. And uh, so we talk about those injuries here in the news and try to explain them and make them understandable, maybe hopefully help you uh, – Know that your favorite player is getting back out there, when he's going to get back out there, and what the injury was, and those types of things. I'm joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University, longtime sports broadcaster. Ferris, thanks for being on the show today. Absolutely, man. Glad to be here. Man, we got a fun show today, Ferris. We've got some uh, great guests on. We're going to have on uh, your good friend and a good friend of uh, Docs and Jocks, former three-time NBA champion, uh, Scott Williams is coming on. He's now the... Uh, TV uh, color analyst for the Grand Canyon University Antelopes, uh, where Ferris is the uh, radio voice for Grand Canyon University. So good good friend of Docs and Jocks and uh, formerly player, played with the Chicago Bulls and the Michael Jordan, uh, Scotty Pippen-Aris. So we'll be talking all things NBA and uh, also informing North Carolina Tar Heel, all things uh, NCAA basketball with Scott Williams coming up here on Docs & Jocks. You also won't want to miss our interview with Dallas Cowboy uh, right tackle Doug Free. Uh, man, the Dallas Cowboys doing what they're doing this year. You won't want to miss the interview coming up with their uh, right tackle, talking about that impressive offensive line and all the things they've been doing with Ezekiel Elliott running for uh, the N- uh, NFL's uh, rushing leader right now. So won't want to miss that interview. You're coming up with Doug Free later on at Docs and Jocks. And then we'll also be talking to a former uh, college baseball coach with Nebraska and Oklahoma State and uh, former head coach for Bellevue baseball coach and founder of Evans Pressure Baseball, Mike Evans. Coach Evans is one of the guys that started with a, a book called Power Pitching, where he talks about how do you save young guys' arms, how do you pitch correctly, how do you avoid uh, injuring your Tommy John uh, ligament on the inside of your elbow, avoid all those types of surgeries. He's one of the Early, early guys to write a book that a lot of other guys have then taken from that material and added on in the research, and it's been. A, he's really one of the founders and uh, guys that's just really looked into researching how do you prevent arm injuries in a young thrower's arm. And so we're talking to Coach Mike Evans about that and more. I uh, also want to say thank you to all our wonderful sponsors, including Firehouse Subs as well as uh, Lawrence Hall Chevrolet. Couldn't do our show here without our wonderful sponsors as well as Buffalo Wild Wings. Bringing you this segment. If you ever want to find out more about our show here at Docs and Jocks, you can go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, or you can download our iTunes app, Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. And uh, if you do that, you can listen to the show anytime, anywhere at your convenience. Maybe you can't listen to one of our great interviews like the ones we have coming up with Scott Williams, Doug Free, or Coach uh, Mike Evans today, but you can do that later by going to your iTunes app and downloading Docs and Jocks. And we'll be right back after a short commercial break.
2: You're listening to Guy Talk, live from the Sport Clips Haircuts locker room. Caller, you're on the air.
3: Uh, My girlfriend
0: beat me playing one-on-one.
2: Ooh, sounds like you need to hit up a Sport Clips for an awesome haircut experience and some quality man time.
0: I don't know. My girlfriend always takes me to her salon. Nonsense. Be your own man and get a great
2: haircut in a guy-friendly place from stylists who know what guys need. You may be right. Sure I'm right. Now grab your Y chromosome, get down to Sport Clips, and ask for the MVP. Sport Clips, it's good to be a guy. No one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under
0: 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only 549. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse
1: Subs. One bite. One taste, you're hooked. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport & Spine. Coming to the live from inside D1 Abilene Radio Studios. I do want to say a special thanks to all our wonderful sponsors, including Medical Diagnostic Imaging as well as Sports Clips. Couldn't do our show here without our wonderful sponsors. So I want to say thank you to this segment where our sponsors are bringing that to you. Hey, also my co-host this week is Ferris Potter. And Ferris... Uh, man, tell us a little bit about You've been traveling with the uh, Grand Canyon University uh, basketball team all over the country. Tell us about coming up with the Grand Canyon University Antelopes.
2: Well, a great week for GCU. We, we we started off at Duke and played Penn State, played in a tournament up at Connecticut, been home since. And uh, just uh, the other night, Wednesday night, beat San Diego State, second time in two years, beat them 76-72. And then um, on Saturday, uh, December 3rd, We lost to number 14 Louisville in the arena, but uh, 79-70 was the score, and our point guard, uh, Dwayne Russell, scored 42 points. Rick Pitino afterwards said it was the hardest arena he'd ever played in. The crowd was the best he'd ever seen, even better than the Cameron Crazies. And then he said that Dwayne Russell's performance, uh, was the best guard play he's seen in his 44 years of uh, basketball. So it was quite also, a week for the Lopes.
1: Yeah, I'm also going to talk to uh, Scott Williams, who does the uh, TV color uh, analyst uh, job there at Grand Canyon University, coming up on the show later on, three-time NBA all-star, or I'm sorry, NBA champion. So we'll talk to him, get his take on Grand Canyon University as well. I did get a listen to some of that game with uh, Louisville. Man, that was a impressive game. You had a lead uh, going into, I believe, near the fourth quarter. I mean, you had a, a lead in the second half pretty far into it.
2: Yeah, Dwayne hit a three pointer about about five steps behind the line at the buzzer of the half, and we had a lead going in at the half, and then uh, had a lead a long way. You know, they just their just size and athleticism just took over at the end, and Dwayne didn't get a lot of help. I mean, we scored seventy, and he had forty two of them.
3: Wow, uh, mean,
2: Some of the other guys just didn't, you know, weren't able to step up. I mean, look, Louisville's a really good team. They they have a little bit of trouble scoring, but man, they got some big bodies, and their their athleticism and size just kind of took over down the stretch and uh, and got the victory. But it was a Man, it was a great like seventy five hundred people there. It was a it was a blast, and it was a really good game for GCU.
1: Awesome, man! You can see where uh, uh, Dan Marley and the coach there at Grand Canyon University, where he's turning that program around to get it uh, into that Division One status. I think you'd come off probation as of you have one more year of it, right? And then you'll be full time and ready to go into the into uh, full time NCAA playoffs in March Madness. Yeah,
2: yeah, this is our last year of probation, so this is our fourth year in Division One. Uh, can't play a postseason other than like the CIT tournament or the CBI. Can't go in IT or NCAA. Or can't even play in our, our Western Athletic Conference postseason. But, uh, yeah, next year we'll be uh, eligible. So everybody's everybody's gunning for that, looking forward to that here.
1: Awesome. Hey, some of the big sports medicine injuries in the news I thought we talked talk about uh, here on this first segment. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. The uh, Dallas Cowboys are getting ready to play uh, the New York Giants. I really think Ferris, you can throw the records out the window when these two teams meet, but this is number one and number two with the NFC East right now, and and the Cowboys are trying to avenge their only loss of the year in that game one loss to the New York Giants. Uh, A couple big stories I think that are going to play a part in this game with regards to injuries uh, will be uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, the the star defensive end Mm. for the uh, New York Giants. He comes out this week that he is now going to be out for the rest of the season due to a uh, sports hernia repair. So, first of all, before we talk about what a sports tourney is and what a repair entails and how long they can be out, uh, I think that is a huge key component of this game. And without Jason Pierre-Paul doing his thing, getting pressure on Dak Prescott, I think the Cowboys just became a lot better.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he you know, he had that fireworks injury and he was playing himself back. And yeah. He was a beast before that. He was just becoming a beast. I mean, that's a huge help for Dak Prescott. Um, you know, and those uh, Cowboys they have a great line, but one less guy to block, that's – I mean, that – big help for
1: them. Absolutely. You know, a sports hernia affair, so we talk about your core muscles a lot here on the show. Remember, we I, I use this analogy a lot, but if you're just listening to the show for the first time, basically I describe the human body as a box with four little pendulums hanging off of it. And that box, we call that your core. You know, some people refer to it as your trunk, but your core. And then there's muscles that surround that core. In the front, you have your abs. On the side, you have your obliques. In the back, you have your big, they're called paraspinal muscles, but there's a group of them that stabilize your back. And so all those muscles uh, together, along with the muscle on the inside of them called the transversus abdominis, help stabilize your core when you move and have to adjust in space very quickly. Imagine the box being basically the platform that the pendulum swings off of. So you want a really, really steady, strong core so that everything else works correctly. We talk about balance. Uh, when we talk about being able to uh, move quickly, you know, change direction, that's really a function of how strong your your you know your platform is the core is that everything else works off of. So what can happen in sports hernia is it really became a term about about ten fifteen years ago we started seeing these injuries in athletes who typically athletes uh, like in soccer, uh, tennis, uh, football players where guys have to suddenly take off, turn real fast, and they'd have this real sharp pain. It was almost debilitating to where it was kind of down in the lower abdominal region, uh, kind of where your uh, groin region comes up and attaches in your pelvis, where your, 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 your abdominal muscles, called your rectus abdominis, attaches in your pelvis, down in that area, Ferris, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so those muscles, when they get pulled real tightly, will sometimes have an imbalance, and they will tear small layers of that covering of your core, and uh, they, it will give you pain every time you take off. It's, it's felt to be somewhat of an imbalance between the muscles that stabilize your trunk or your core. And the muscles on the inner aspect of your thigh, you know, we sometimes you've heard of groin pulls or adductor strains. I think, Ferris, you have a famous groin pull from a from a hiking accident, do you not?
2: I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> exactly. I, <laughs> I don't like to bring it up, but our, I did, yes. Yeah. Yes, you did.
1: If you listen to Dr. Mm-hmm. Jock, the Pax mm-hmm. Ferris <laughs> described his groin injury ad nauseum. So. You, uh, it's a, hey, I di- I know, I know. I'm just being just being, real. just being keeping the show real here, <laughs> Ferris. But yeah, those muscles will pull against each other. So remember, in every every part of your body, there's an agonist muscle, which is the muscle. Like let's so say uh, when I'm flexing my elbow, that's my biceps, my agonist muscle pulling my biceps or pulling my elbow and flexing it. On the back side of my arm is my triceps, an antagonist muscle, which uh, is a force in the opposite direction to uh, slow and steady that elbow flexion down. You have the same thing in your core. you know. So you have these muscles in your lower abdominal muscles and your adductor group and they're pulling in different directions and you get a tear in it. So what they do then is they go in and they look down where that tear is and they try to repair that as best they can. And that's what Dr. Myers, who's probably the expert in the world, he's out of Philadelphia, does with these uh, professional athletes. And that's who Jason Pierre Paul consulted. And he's going to go in and do a repair. And so oftentimes they don't know exactly what the injury is and how big the tear is until they actually do the surgery, they will sometimes go and release that adductor group that attaches way up in your pelvis area that where your groin muscle comes way up high and attaches. They'll release that so you stop having that opposite opposing pull, and that will relieve the pain sometimes. So. You know, you never know exactly how long a player is going to be out with one of these injuries, but you know, with Jason Pierre-Paul, this is uh, what are we in right now? Going into week thirteen, I think it is. So with this injury in this late in the season, it's very unlikely that he'll be coming back, and so uh, it's a big devastating blow to the New York Giants. But the Cowboys on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, they're getting Morris Claiborne back from a sports hernia. He had it repaired after I believe game three of the NFL season this year, and uh, now their star uh, corner is going to be coming back, and hopefully we'll have him this week, and uh, that makes a big difference for the Dallas Cowboys too, whose defense definitely needs a guy like Morris Claiborne in the back in the backfield if they're going to be able to hang with the New York Giants. So you get one guy back earlier than you thought from a sports hernia repair. And uh, the other team, Jason Pierre Paul, the New York Giants, he's now out, most likely out for the season. So, once again, injuries play a huge part in kind of a, the destiny of an NFL team and any sports team this late in the season, especially in the NFL. Wouldn't you agree?
2: Yeah, I mean, they call it next man up for a reason. I mean, that's really what it is, especially in the NFL, because. You know, in any given play, any given day, any given practice, you can lose a guy with yeah. a pretty kind of catastrophic injury for the rest of the season. And, it's you know, whoever steps up the best is going, to, uh, is going to get the job done. I mean, it's a huge game for both these squads. I mean, Dallas can really distance themselves. And, you know, Giants, it's almost a must-win for the Giants more so than the Cowboys. But, yeah, it's it's going to be huge.
1: Yeah, they're picking the Dallas Cowboys. I saw right now the uh, odds are three. They, they're giving Dallas Cowboys three. But, you know, a three-point uh, – differential in a game this close really means that it's a toss-up even in Vegas it's a toss-up right now so you know if you had to go out and pick pick a team right now Ferris who are you picking you picking the Dallas Cowboys with Dak Prescott and uh, Ezekiel Elliott are you picking the New York Giants as hot as they've been with uh, Eli Manning and he seems to always do good down the stretch especially in December and in the playoffs
2: you know I'd pick Dallas I mean I, I like just like what they're doing I mean Dak is getting more comfortable but it's really, it's really because of the running game. I mean, I, I love what they're doing with that offensive line. Ezekiel Elliott's really good, and then, you know, you don't have to have a quarterback make a bunch of throws, and you don't have to have Bryant at you know catch ten balls for one hundred and ten yards. You know, and yeah. I think the, all that pressure that's relieved on Bryant, he's just such a such a weapon when you you can't you can't key on him. So right. I, I like Dallas, and you know, I'd always heard that you basically get three points for being the home team. Yeah. So. It yeah. almost sounds like a pick 'em, but I and I don't know. I'd almost favor Dallas in this game, even though they are on the road. I just think they're, I just think they're rolling.
1: You know, you mentioned uh, having Ezekiel Elliott take the pressure off of Des Bryant. Does that not sound like back in the day of having Emmitt Smith uh, open up the uh, passing game for Michael Irvin and Troy Aikman? I mean, it just sounds so similar. There's a lot of similarities between that '93, '94, yeah. you know, teams of uh, the Dallas Cowboys and this these teams right now. The only difference is we haven't won any Super Bowls with the team we currently have, but there is a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of similarities, man. I mean, a lot.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, when when uh, you know Jimmy Johnson built that team, he, he I remember him talking, he said, hey, I build teams from the line out. You know, I want a strong offensive line, a strong defensive line, and then I move out from there. And, um, you know, he did that, and that's what made him good. I think it makes him consistent, right? I mean, you can have, like, that's the thing with the Giants. They can have a flash, and, yeah, they won five, what, six in a row, but Odell Beckham can have a great game and be all great and have flash. But man, if you know you can give the ball to Zeke and he can run thirty times for 120 yards every game, it takes a lot of pressure off people.
1: And you just control the clock so long you don't let Eli Manning on the field. I mean, it's a you know a possession game where you just have the ball for so long when Ezekiel Elliott's turning out you know yards after yard, doing an 80 yard touchdown. It just takes so much four five six minutes off the clock that no matter how good the other offensive offensive team is, if they can't get on the field, I mean you just you just control the game. I mean I think that's one of the things the Cowboys have done so well this year.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, I mean, it's more fun to watch him throw the deep pass and the guys and all that stuff. But um, running and controlling the clock, and you know, the, the Patriots do it differently. The Seahawks do it a little bit differently. They don't, they don't control the clock with the run. They control it with the short pass. But it's all about that. you exactly right. Controlling the clock, keeping that clock running, making the game shorter and getting a little lead and then just just running out the clock, basically.
1: Hey, don't forget, later on our show here on Docs & Jocks, you're listening to your sports medicine radio show, we're going to have on Doug Free, who helps uh, turn out those yards for Ezekiel Elliott by being his starting right tackle. So, But in our next segment here on Docs & Jocks, we're going to be talking to uh, baseball coach Mike Evans, who is the founder of Evans Pressure Baseball, also former uh, Nebraska, Oklahoma State, and Bellevue baseball coach. won't want to miss this interview coming up on the other side of Docs & Jocks. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. Coming to you live from inside D1 Abilene Radio Studios. Hey, if you're just catching our show for the first time, want to find out more about Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show, you can do that by going to docsandjocks.com, or you can download our iTunes app on Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Download iTunes app, and you can listen to our show anytime, anywhere. Hey, I do want to say thank you to all the wonderful sponsors, and this segment is brought to you by Marriott Hotels as well as Joe Walker State Farm. Couldn't do our show without our wonderful sponsors. Uh, Joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris, we are very honored to have on a great guest this week. We have on baseball coach Mike Evans. Uh, Coach Evans has been, he's a former uh, head baseball coach with Bellevue uh, Baseball. He's also been involved with Nebraska, Oklahoma State. He's also the founder of Evans Pressure Baseball. He is also a uh, well-known author in the baseball world, writing books such as Power Pitching and as well as Four Absolutes of Hitting and Pitching. Coach Evans, thanks for being on Docs and Jocks.
4: Well, I'm very happy to be. I've heard about this this program, and I'm glad to be here.
1: All right. Hey, yes, first of all, congratulations. You've won so many awards. I could have done your uh, intro so much longer. You've been uh, the coach of the year at both the high school level as well as the uh, college level in the ranks. Your Bellevue University baseball team, your record there is 1,012 versus 361 losses. Amazing record there. So congratulations on a great uh, career.
4: I've just been so lucky to be in baseball. I love baseball so much, and it's my life. Yeah,
1: and in 1995, I believe it was, you uh, took the Bellevue all the way and you won a, a NAI national championship. That had to be one of the highlights of your baseball coaching career.
4: You, you know, it is, and it's just so much. I've been so lucky around the coaching staff that I had around me and the players, and we're all, like, still family. You know, it's kind of neat. You know, we, uh, I used to teach and I used to uh, coach at Bellevue University for over 20 years. And uh, back when I was at Nebraska, I wrote a book called Power Pitching yeah. and and Power Hitting. And I was just so excited that I've been continuing this for 40 years. I've been doing it since 1976. And uh, I'm just glad you all, uh, asked me to be on the program.
1: You know, I, the uh, one of the reasons we ask is because you've uh, written so much about how to correctly uh, pitch as well as the absolutes of hitting. But let's talk about pitching in the sports medicine world. Obviously, uh, we've all heard of kind of the uh, new epidemic of the Tommy John surgery in, in the pitcher's arms. We're seeing it in younger, younger kids all the time now. But you were really on the forefront of looking at how pitching works as far as how it uh, stresses the elbow and the shoulder and how you can improve your pitching uh, mechanics to, to try and prevent those in- injuries as much as possible. Talk to us about what made you decide to write a book about power pitching and what how that, uh, over the years of your coaching, how that's kind of progressed in your mind as far as pitching mechanics.
4: Well, a long time ago, I was at Creighton Prep High School in, in 1976, and I, uh, from, I was very limited. I wasn't a great baseball player, but I wanted to be a good coach. So the first day of practice, we had a lot of kids go off to the team. I took them on the football field and saw how far they could throw. And uh, we said a goal is every day we're going to throw until we can get to 100 yards. And he says, if you get 100 yards, we're going to get 90 miles an hour. So we wow. continued doing that, and, uh, and we also tested the same way we hitting the ball off the tee. And it, it was amazing because uh, we had some very 1-7 state titles at Creighton Prep, but the number one thing is our arms progressed uh, in a way that uh, the, velo- the distance that you throw related to the velocity of what you threw, and the same thing with hitting. Huh. So I became really good friends with Alan Yeager, Uh, and because his long toss program uh, was exactly that. Instead of throwing less, we throw more. We throw every day, everybody on the team does, and we train them to get their arms and stretch their arms out. And the one thing I can say after 40 years of coaching, Division I, NAI, all different levels, is I have not had one Tommy John injury and not one rotator cuff injury in 40 years of coaching.
1: That is amazing. You know, that's the uh, reminds me of the quote by the great Bob Feller, Bullet Bob, the, one of the greatest right-handed pitchers, if not the greatest right-handed pitcher of all time. He talked about near the end of his career, he's talking about all these injuries, and he said, you know, I never saw anyone's arm get stronger from not pitching. He was an advocate of, of daily throwing, keeping your arm strong. He thought the pendulum maybe had swung too far to the to, to point where we over-rested players if that makes sense so it is interesting yeah
4: yeah it does doc and the thing about it is it's all about the four absolutes that happen there's four things that happen it's it's uh uh, uh, 100 the weight back is your first fundamental second is your flexion at contact or your when your front foot hits and then extension to follow through But the pronation and throwing and the follow-through where you're showing the backside V, I believe is the key reason why I have had no injuries. It's the backside V and, and recognizing that there's pronation.
1: Wow. Ferris, you had a question for Coach Evans? Yeah, so Coach,
2: is it a simple thing to try to reduce all these Tommy Johns we're seeing, especially in younger kids? Is it a simple thing to strengthen the arm and then just work on that technique you just mentioned there? Yes, because, I, you know, like I have young kids
4: throwing from all over, and if I can emphasize, especially in the throwing end of thing, because hitting is the same thing, but throwing is more, too, you can make mistakes in hitting, it doesn't make any difference. But if you recognize that, it, that there's pronation, then when you let go of the ball, the ball should be moving that way under normal circumstances. And if you get your back, if you make the backside V, in other words, your, back, your backside hip, uh, is facing home plate and better your part, then you're not putting any strain on the arm. So we throw it at an arc going out. And, and uh, I want to make a commitment to Alan Yeager because he's wrote a book, and my book's just coming out. But if we say the same thing. You have to throw an arc coming back, and then you've got to train yourself coming back in. You can't. It takes nine weeks to really develop your arm. So that you're not going to have to, because there's a downward thrust that's really getting the velocity, and that's where you've got to be really careful with the kids and making sure. But my main point is hitting pitching should be the same, and so I got like second graders that uh, they're the top players are throwing fifty yards, and they have they throw forty miles an hour, but it should be the same for hitting pitching, and if it's not, then one of the fundamentals is different. You know, in other words. Go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: Oh, no, go ahead. Finish, Mike, Coach Evans.
4: But what I have is on this, from second grade through pro, I have where different kids should be, but basically I'm not interested where they should be according to their class. I'm interested in the way they are themselves because hitting and pitching should be the same if you're hitting the ball off a tee or throwing if your fundamentals are correct.
3: Right.
1: You know, you're your second uh, person who's mentioned our show here recently, we had Don, uh, former Cy Young Award winner Mike Marshall on, and he was big in talking about pronation. And for our listening audience, pronation is the movement with your hand when, like, imagine you're throwing a screwball. That's called pronation. Supination is with your palm up. So when you're pronating, you're kind of rolling your hand in. But he was big on a pronation movement as well. And that's one of your absolutes when you're talking about trying to avoid those injuries in your arm. But that seems like it's a key. You and uh, uh, Mike Marshall both mentioned that.
4: Yes, it is so important because you can recognize that if a kid's throwing a uh, cut with his natural fastball, he's not letting his arm work like it should. And, and even more important than pronation is the follow-through of making sure you have a backside V. You know, and on my, in my website, com, my books and everything are free, and you can see the backside V of the professionals and everybody. And that, to me, is so important.
1: Okay. Ferris?
2: Hey, Coach Evans, if that's the more natural throwing motion, how did how do we get to where we do it backwards? How do we get to where we don't do the pronation?
4: Uh, well, you know, it's, see, that's where when I'm working with kids, and I see that a lot of kids are making that. For, they're already doing it backwards. And most of their ball is just cutting. So – when I, uh, when I work with them, I just try to work their finger pressure until they can naturally just let the ball go with the inward pronation You can tell so easily, but if you just stand behind somebody, you can see the ball cutting across, and you just change their fingertips on the ball, offset it a little bit, and then they naturally start throwing right.
1: And the other thing you and I had mentioned, uh, Coach Evans, when we were talking about doing the show, you had mentioned that you really try and find the arm angle that is natural for that kid. So it's different in everybody. Some people naturally throw straight over the top. Some people are three-quarters. Some people more find it, uh, kind of a sidearm slot, uh, more comfortable. But you really try and find a slot that works for that kid. You don't try and make everybody throw exactly the same.
4: That's exactly. My power of pitching was the first book in the country written on on arm angle. And that was back, I always say 1909, but nobody laughed anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, what, what I did was I got everybody out at shortstop and I had them hit ground balls, whether they were left or right, and had them throw across the first base in the, from the hole. And we put a camera behind them and we watched what arm angle they would come to when they're trying to let it go across the things where they weren't thinking. Because uh, what I found is is that kids, when you have to throw the ball and get it over, they end up falling into the arm angle that's best for them. So right. back in 1982, 85, when I actually talked at the national convention and presented my book, I said everybody needs to throw from their own arm angle, and you have to match your your, uh, your fundamentals form to the arm angle. Don't try to do it opposite and don't force kids into arm angles that they're not supposed to be throwing at.
1: Right. And, and you know, we're talking about uh, pitchers, but really when we talk about uh, your book is called Power Pitching, but you, when you and I spoke, it's really how everybody throws a baseball. You do the same thing basically for a catcher. You also work on the same kind of arm angles for a pitcher. Even though it's called power, I mean, uh, for an outfielder, even though it's called power pitching, it really applies to all, a baseball, play, all baseball players, whether they're pitching or playing the field.
4: That's right, Doc, and that's why my long toss program is set up for each position. So, uh, you know, in high school and even in college with me, because I believe hitting and pitching are the same, uh, not, my pitchers weren't just pitchers. They were hitters. Because if, if I can hit, I can throw 90, I can hit 90. Wow. And, and that's why I, can t- I would not specialize because if I got a great athlete, and they're throwing 95, I want them hitting, too. Oh,
3: that's and,
4: and, it's, and that's one of the things I've been studying over the over this last 40 years is that I can take a hitter, and if, if that, he's hitting 40 miles an hour uh, uh, throwing, he's also going to be able to, uh, a second grader, he also can hit that way. But if there's a big difference, we're making a recognition that there's a difference because of why because they should be the same. And so I've taken that through my whole career, and that's why I'm kind of excited about my new book out, because uh, I'm interested in, I don't think, I just don't, I don't think, we're, I think we're handling it the wrong way. I think we need to throw and work on looking at the kid's arm angle and looking at uh, how they're throwing, and instead of saying throw less, and now the new rules are out at the high school that they put pitch limitations I don't care if they put pitch limitations, but kids should be able to throw all their pitches and spot up and do this without hurting their arm.
1: Right. You know, when you talk about pitchers and hitters uh, being very similar, you know, I, my uh, young son is a uh, catcher, so we're doing a lot of uh, hitting lessons a lot, but I'm, but I'm also there and I'm listening to the pitchers uh, get pitching lessons. And so when I listen to him about, you know, getting the correct load position and then being able to, you know, get your momentum behind the ball and always have a strong follow through. I'm, a lot of times, I don't know if I'm listening to, uh, the, if I can just close my eyes, I'm not sure if I'm listening to a pitching coach or a hitting coach. I've just found that out over the years listening to both, that there's a lot of things that truly, truly overlap in hitting and pitching, just like what you've talked about in your books for years.
4: Well, uh, yes, and I want your son. I'm, I can make it because I'm not officially coaching right now. <laughs> okay. I can take what tips on your son right now. <laughs> I know he's a heck of a player. But, yes, that is so true, you know, and that's why I hate specialization. It is It is so true. You just got kids a good hitter, and he's a, he's a good pitcher. God, let him do everything. You know, I just love it. I love it when kids are multiple sports. That's what happens up north. I'm really from Nebraska. I'm living in Dallas now, hopefully to get a new job here in in Dallas uh, that I can't say anything about. But anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, but in Nebraska, you know, you, you're you're they're playing all the sports, and then they're coming in and. And I, I like recruiting those kind of kids because they're, they're well-balanced. Right. You know, down in Texas here, a lot of these kids have to specialize because there's so much competitiveness down here, and, and it makes a big difference. But uh, I love all sports. I used to coach football a lot, yeah. you know, and, and that. So I love football. I love all the sports. And I just love the kids doing the right thing. So you're right. I mean, you know, if you're listening to hitting, you're hearing the you're hearing the get your weight back, get the flexion to extension to follow through, and that's the same thing with pitching.
1: Right, exactly, Ferris.
2: Hey, coach, just a couple of minutes left here, but I want to get your take on all these pitch counts. You talked a little bit about the younger kids, but I mean, if if kids are doing it right, if they're strengthening their arms, by the time they get in the majors, do we need these four day, five days off, these rotations, these pitch counts that managers are so Ah, uh, concerned about these days. Is that still important, or can you take care of a lot of that by just strengthening the arm and throwing the with the correct uh, the correct way?
4: You know, I I really think the pitch counts for crap. I mean, I shouldn't say that, but it is.
2: Uh, <laughs> we kind of you know, agree. I so think that's the good. kids
4: ought to go out every day and lengthen their arm, and then yeah, you don't want to throw a kid every day and have them throw them a lot of breaking pitches all through. That's you know, I'm not saying that. I'm saying mm-hmm. in is that. Every day you need to get them out and stretch their arm. Every guy on the team needs to do that, and they need to read their arm on because you can't tell a kid, you, you don't want to stall that. Let him go as far as he can and take his time. Take a little more time with that kid so that you can do it. But don't just limit it to throwing. Get, it to, get a kid hit the same way off a tee that he's doing this, and now you're working with both. And you also can recognize that they're not doing it right. But I love it. I just isn't this the greatest sport? I it mean, is. Just, it is just amazing <laughs> to me I, how you hit a baseball in uh, eighty mile an hour coming in four tenths of a second and hitting that ball. I just, I just, uh, it's amazing game. And so pitchers should be pretty happy because. They got all the advantages.
1: They do. Hey, Coach Evans, I know our interview is always too short, and so you have so much knowledge, and trying to get it done in a, a short segment is very difficult. If people want to find out more about your books and how they can uh, order your books and, and get the whole full mold, more detail of what you're uh, talking about, how do they do that?
4: They can just go to evanspressurebaseball.com. Awesome. And that's my last name, E-V-A-N-S, and then pressurebaseball.com. And everybody's welcome to call me any place, any time. I got big showcases going, and that's 402-659-5081. Love to talk baseball anytime, and I love being on your show. Well, thank I, you. I'm sorry I talked so much. Though.
1: No, no, it was great, it was perfect. We'll have to have you on again real soon. I feel like we just scratched the surface of uh, your baseball knowledge. So thank you so much for being on the show. We'll have you on again real soon, Coach Evans.
4: Well, thank you, Doc. All right. and thank you, Paris. I appreciate it.
1: All right, hey, we're right back with more Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you live from inside D1 Abilene Radio Studios. If you're just catching our show for the very first time and want to find out more about it, you can do that by going to doxandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Also download our iTunes app at Dox and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Uh, brought to you uh, every week with my co-host, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Do do want to say thank you to our sponsors for this segment, including Lawrence Hall Chevrolet, as well as First Financial Bank. Couldn't do our show here without our wonderful sponsors. Hey, Ferris, I thought we just had a good interview with uh, Coach Mike Evans. I love the guy who've been doing it for 30-plus years, like Coach Evans, who uh, basically have a wealth of knowledge, it's, it's always so hard. I've done this so many – so you and I have done this so many years now. When you have guys like uh, – we've interviewed Gene Stallings. We've interviewed uh, uh, Coach Jimmy Keeling. They're Hall of Fame coaches. They've been doing their, their thing for so long. And to try and fit them into a 16-minute segment is near impossible. But I felt like that's the way it was with Coach Evans. I felt like he had so much more information he could have given us. But we'll have to have him on again real soon. Great interview.
2: So so are you are you do you agree with them on that um on the deal with the pronation and, and 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 for the for the pitching and how you should be doing that?
1: Yeah, I think that what the pronation does and this is just my opinion and this is after talking with uh Mike Marshall, the Cy Young Award winner who recommended it and now uh, Coach Evans. I think the movement, the pronation movement, just think about it, just try it yourself. If when you mm-hmm. roll your hand in like throwing a screwball, and we've, if you've ever played wiffle ball, you're throwing a screwball, you probably goofed around with it in the backyard playing catch. It's the opposite of curveball. Curveball, your hand is going into what's called supination, right? So when yep. you pronate your hand, when you release it with that motion, it's hard to put the stress on your elbow because you lose that, we call it a, a uh, valgus stress on your elbow, but it's when your hand gets back behind your elbow. It's hard to do that motion when you're doing pronation. And I think exactly like what Coach Evans was saying, that and having correct follow-through. I'm going to look his book up and find out exactly what having the V formation from behind looks like in a pitcher. I Mm -hmm. need to to know that because it's one of the things he's big on following through in such that manner. So, yeah, but I think pronation definitely is easier on the elbow and the arm than when you try and really do a hard – Supination type movement—that's the breaking ball type movement—or when you're doing, you know, the cutter type movement, you're trying to get a cut. But yeah, pronation—if your hand is held in that position and you roll it in that position—it seems a little safer on your arm to me. It makes comments. sense.
2: Yeah, but that's not the way typically people throw the baseball, right? I mean, right. So, so I guess my question to him, and I don't know if he totally understood—I probably didn't say it right—was, if if the pronation is more natural, how did we start all throwing it the wrong way? You know, you'd think as you grow up, you'd throw it the natural way. Did we? Were we taught? No, no, throw it this way? Was it?
1: Yeah, I don't know. He didn't really have an answer for that. I don't know why over time it seems like we've gotten less and less pronation. You know, when you and I grew up, there were a few big-time screwball pitchers. There was Mike Marshall who threw more innings than anybody else in the league, and there were guys still throwing that pitch. You know, uh, Fernando Valenzuela was one that I commonly remember throwing that pitch. You hardly ever hear that anymore. When was the last time you heard anyone throwing a screwball in the big leagues that I remember? I don't. I don't remember the Never. last one. You know, probably because the circle change is somewhat taken over. If you look at the circle change, it's. It's a pronation movement. Just think about how people throw that. You put your index finger and your thumb on the inside of the baseball. Your other three fingers are now gripping the ball, and you let your hand roll kind of into a pronation as you're throwing it. So maybe that pitch is taken over instead of a screwball. I don't know exactly, but that seems like that pitch may be more of a common pitch as opposed to a screwball.
2: It's weird because if you pick up a football or a bigger ball and you throw it, you you pronate, you
1: know? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Football. You know, when you throw a football, when you throw it correctly, you do pronate. When you, you see the guys like the pictures when Troy Aikman's, uh, oh, anybody throws a football correctly when they come through, they pronate at the end of it. You ever notice that when they throw a football, true, yeah. a true quarterback does it. Most of us backyard guys when we throw it maybe don't do it, but they end. They usually end with their hand rolled over in a pronation position. I've always wondered this, Ferris, but this may be the reason. You don't see Tommy John surgeries happen in football players. You remember, think of a quarterback, how many balls a quarterback throws almost every day of his career. He's throwing a football. It's heavier, right? So it should be more Mm -hmm. stress, but you hardly ever see. When was the last time you heard a quarterback in the NFL undergoing Tommy John surgery? I don't remember the last one.
2: I don't remember ever hearing it.
1: I know. But they're throwing a ball just like a baseball. You know, the, the theory was that in tennis, the reason you don't see Tommy John surgeries in tennis is because they don't let go of the racket. Well, that doesn't apply in football. They let go of the football, right? But if you right. notice, good quarterbacks end their throw in a pronation movement. They've other, In other words, they've thrown it and they've rolled their hand over. And they throw maximal footballs. They don't throw maximal velocity, but they get pretty close on some of the deep balls they throw as far as maximum stress of the elbow they would have on it. But that may be the reason we don't see Tommy John-type surgeries where they tear mm. the medial collateral ligament or ulnar collateral ligament on the inside of their elbow. Because football players do have a natural pronation movement when they throw it. And they're not throwing lots of different styles. You know, you think about it. They're not throwing a curveball with a football. They're not throwing change-ups, sliders, fastballs. They're doing that one movement, and it's always a pronation-type movement. So that may be why we don't see it as much in football. I just I just learned something here. I think on Docks and Jock. Yeah, you know, one of the things too is is the repetition.
2: But to your point, a, a quarterback's going to throw the ball every day, and they're going to throw. I don't know how long practice are, how often they throw, but they're going to throw the ball every day for you know. I mean, gosh, what since you're seven years old, eight years old, yeah, yeah. And every in day. the pros, you know, you're going to throw it every day, and that repetition can break down a starting pitcher. That's what I gives him so many days off. But it doesn't seem to bother a guy. Throwing a
1: football. Uh-uh. It doesn't bother him throwing a football. It's got to be the
2: pronation. It's got to yeah. be that.
1: I think so because, you know, I, I can't think of the last time I saw a Tommy John surgery in a quarterback. I do remember we talked about one injury to uh, they thought they had Tommy John or an ulnar collateral ligament sprain on the inside of the elbow. There was a pitcher that had it. It does happen, but it's very, very rare when it does happen. It makes make sure you want to go out and read more about uh, Coach Mike Evans' book, Power Pitching and the Four Absolutes of Hitting and Pitching, because he made it seem so simple as far as the, what he recommended. And it's definitely different than what we hear with pitch counts, limiting throwing, when he's talking about every day going out and stretching and throwing and lengthening your arm, I mean – it's, it's a different philosophy. There's, like I said, there's a pendulum. Some people believe we don't throw enough, so these young guys are going out, getting injured because they go out and throw a ton on them one weekend after they're not ready. You know, he said it takes nine weeks to get an arm ready to be really to go out and throw. So if you think about that, I mean, right now we're in the winter months. We're going to have select baseball players and high school baseball players gearing up to be throwing, you know, games in February and March and right now is the time they really need to be working on trying to strengthen their arm and out throwing. And the question is, are they all doing it?
2: Well, let me ask you this, Doctor Dan. When you look at the anatomy of the elbow, yeah, I mean everybody's anatomy is basically the same. What's connected where? What's this? What's that? But is everybody's a little different too?
1: Yes, everybody's a little bit different. That's a real. That's a great question, Ferris. If you even look at how Tommy John surgery is done, and they take the, what a, a ligament on the inside of your wrist called a palmaris longus, they take that ligament. Well, guess what? Not everybody has that ligament, or that t- I said a ligament; it's a tendon. Not everybody has that tendon. And so, are we made differently? Yeah, we're all made a little bit differently. Also, how your your flexor mass comes across and attaches at the inside of your elbow is a little bit different. Some people actually get a nerve entrapped. As the nerve is traveling down through the front of their flexor tendons, that gets entrapped in that muscle mass, uh, we call that pronator teres syndrome. But also, how your nerve runs through your groove. Remember, you got a nerve, your funny bone nerve. You probably hit it when you've been driving in a car and stuff. You've hit that nerve, you know, driving, mm-hmm. and hitting your armrest. And uh, so that nerve, how it runs through not only uh, right there at your elbow, but as it just passes down through your elbow and into your forearm, it can sometimes get entrapped there as well. So, yeah, everybody's anatomy is a little bit different. For the most part, the groups of muscles, tendons, ligaments, uh, have the same area where they originate and where they are heading to. But, yeah, we're, we're all born a little bit different. It's, it's, a, it's the group of population of people who don't have the palmaris longus tendon that's the tendon they take. They harvest to weave a new ulnar collateral ligament. They have to go get it from elsewhere. So, you know, it is, it is interesting. We're all made slightly different. We're not symmetrical. That's a real common misconception that your right side's exactly the same as your left side. It's not true either. Our anatomy is all, all slightly different, especially you know, like even in your lumbar spine. Some people have six lumbar vertebrae. Some people have five. Some people have four. It just, it just varies. So, yeah, we're uniquely made for sure.
2: Yeah, I know there's value, and you know, scientists, doctors, uh, general managers—they want to try to figure that out. Oh, if we can figure out yeah. which <laughs> which person's anatomy is more susceptible to injury, yada yada yada. But at the end of the day, there's just so much. How do we call it? Luck, fortune? I don't know what yeah. you want to call it. There's just you like 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 Derek Johnson, the the linebacker for the Chiefs last night. He's backing up. He plans to move forward. Pops his Achilles. I know. I know. He's man. done that a billion times has, in his life. Yeah. Why did it pop then? Nothing slipped. Nothing Nothing happened different. It just popped.
1: Kobe Bryant making the move and he pops his Achilles tendon. Uh, I can think of uh, Ryan, uh, not Ryan Braun, uh, who's the guy for Philadelphia Phillies, the big power hitting first baseman who tore his Achilles, just hits a pop up and he's oh, running. Oh, Ryan Howard? Ryan Howard and he pops it and he pops his Achilles tendon, just run into first base. So most of those types of injuries, and including your Tommy John uh, ulnar collateral ligament injuries, are a combination of. Injuries over time. That then the the one that makes it eventually rupture is the straw that breaks the camel's back. So think of a ligament. It's almost like a rope between tied to two bumpers of two trucks that are going in the opposite direction. If you if the trucks took off five times a day, it wouldn't every time break the rope. But if they did it five times a day, at every time they did it, they broke a few strands of the rope. So that by the time they were in their fifteenth year of doing that, five times a day, going in opposite directions and just pulling, eventually that rope breaks. It fails, right? And that's a, that's how we think of Achilles tendon ruptures. That's how we think of ulnar collateral ligament sprains that eventually go on and, and rupture. Those it's the small microscopic tears that then become. They coalesce into a bigger tear. They coalesce, and eventually the integrity of the ligament and the tendon give way. And so that's more of a better way. That's probably a better way to think of it than, oh, it just happened Mm -hmm. on one play because of everything that happened on that one play. It wasn't that. uh, Derek Johnson last night, right? It wasn't that Mm -hmm. that one play ruptured his Achilles tendon. It was that one play was the straw that broke the camel's back after he had microscopic tears over his entire career of 25 years.
2: But you need to. and, And what you need to. Figure out is how do you have a test? I
1: know, so
2: you can test his Achilles every day and go. You got uh, twenty more of those. You got, 80, <laughs> you
3: know, yeah. That,
2: that's because it, because it, then you have guys who may, who play middle linebacker for twenty years and never have one,
1: and never have one, and yeah. they
2: probably have just as many reps, just as much stress. You know, yeah, it, yeah. You can't quantify. It. You just never know. There's there's a lot of luck, fortune, whatever you want to call it, involved, and
3: yeah.
1: the the the
2: difference between a great long-term hall of fame career and a guy who could have been you know
1: yeah remember we were doing a show uh, probably about six months ago ferris you and i where we were talking about how the nfl has come up with this basically this vest that players wear during practice and what the vest Mm -hmm. does is it measures the stability or wobble you have in your core it can measure things that start noticing if you start limping on one side it picks it up maybe before even the player or the athletic trainer has even noticed that slight limp but that's exactly what that was made for to try and pick up injuries in their early stages so that you don't continue to practice on a potential injury that then becomes a rupture or a long-term injury that you're out for a period of time longer than what you would be if you caught the injury earlier but that was exactly what that was made for and there, there are guys playing our teams paying big bucks to try and figure out how do you predict an injury how can you tell mm-hmm. a player hey it's time to back off on what you're doing at this point in time because these are the these are the risk factors that we're showing on this piece of equipment that you're wearing while you're practicing. Most of it has to do with measuring your core. Remember, all you are is a box with four little pendulums. That core and how steady it moves through space. Because as we fatigue, if our core starts wobbling, you can imagine that the pendulums attached to the core start doing a wobble. And so what they do is they try and take that core instability and say, if you're fatiguing to the point that we see that much core instability and wobble, you're probably putting extra stress on your hips, your knees, your ankles. In a baseball pitching Uh, situation, too much stress on your shoulder and your elbow. Remember, we saw Stroman, I believe it was for the Blue Jays, he was coming back from an ACL rupture, and they had him wear that to see if he was staying stable while he was pitching, and it helped him return quicker. He returned relatively soon from a rehab of an ACL rupture, and that's how they judged when it was safe for him to start continuing to pitch versus, hey, it's time to shut it down. They didn't let him just say how he felt during that period of time. They let him gauge it based on what the um, how his trunk or core stability was on that vest that he was wearing. Pretty cool stuff, though. I mean, that's kind of like space age. Hey, we're trying to predict an injury before it happens, man. Did you, I, you know, in my early, my 25 years ago in my medical career, I wouldn't have predicted that something like that was even fathomable. I mean, computers weren't even around, man. It was amazing.
2: Yeah, and then still at the end of the day, we're all just a little bit different. So it's kind of a – I don't want to say it's a crapshoot, but it's kind of a crapshoot. It's an art. It's an art,
1: yeah. That's why medicine is considered an art because there is still a judgment factor in there. You still have to listen to the player tell you how he feels. You have to probably get the uh, evaluation of the surgeon who did the surgery, saw the anatomical structures, knows how the repair went. His input is vital in all this. You then have to listen to the uh, exercise physiologists and kinesio, kinesiologists who tell you what's happening to that patient's body when he moves based on these new type tests that are being done on players. It all goes in together to make a formal package. If a team works well together, remember you've got strength and conditioning coaches, head coaches, uh, you've got exercise physiologists, you've got the athlete himself, you've got team doctors, all tr- and athletic trainers all trying to work together to keep a player at his maximal output every day while avoiding injury. And they get paid a lot of money to do it, and, and especially at the uh, elite levels. And that's why there's such a push to try and keep these guys from getting injured.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, the GMs, the owners, all those guys, man, if they if they could have a test, that would say that guy's more susceptible to injury than that guy. Yeah. I mean, the insurance companies, right? <laughs> yeah. They'd love to be they able to know that. that stuff so they could set their premiums the right way. right.
1: right, right. <laughs> hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks. When we come back, we'll be, fun. we'll be talking more about what's going on in the sports medicine world. Myself, Dr. Dan, and my co-host, Ferris Potter, here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. Comes to you live from inside D1 Abilene Radio Studios. Hey, just catching a show for the first time. Want to find out more about it? You can do that by going to your iTunes app and clicking on Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Click on our podcast. We'd love to have you be part of our show every week by doing that. You can also uh, listen to our show by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. I am uh, Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician, and uh, joined by my co-host each week, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. Do you want to say thank you uh, this weekend, Ferris, uh, to uh, West Texas Neurosurgeons, Doctors Trammell, Brown, and Edelman for bringing us uh, Docs and Jocks, the uh, sponsors of our show this week. And uh, Ferris, I thought we'd talk about what's going on in sports. Sports medicine world. Uh, we were speaking to the Cowboys in one of our earlier segments, and how that uh, they're going to be playing against the New York Giants this week without Jason Pierre-Paul coming at them uh, with uh, Gi- with him having a sports hernia being taken out of the uh, Giants' defensive line. But uh, I thought I saw. I mean, I thought I'd talk about this because I saw an interview with Troy Aikman uh, this week. He was doing a show called uh, "Football Life" on uh, on an NFL Network channel, and so. Ferris, you and I have I – I know I have. I've talked about this several times where we talked about quarterbacks in the NFL who've short, shortened their careers because of concussions. Uh, we've talked about mm-hmm. Steve Young. I bring up uh, Troy Aikman. He ha- had a really interesting point. He said that his concussions in his NFL career had absolutely nothing to do with his retirement whatsoever. So the reason I think that it started that whole – Troy Aikman retired because of the concussion was because his last play ever, he was playing against the Washington Redskins, and I believe it was Lamar Arrington uh, kind of launched and hit him, and he's not only hit Aikman uh, in the head, but his head goes back and hits the ground, and then we never see him play again after he decides to retire after that season. And if you remember the game, Troy Aikman was... Kind of sitting in a daze, he didn't. You could tell he was just—he was sitting by himself, and his hat was a little cattywampus, and he looked like he was in a daze, and he was in a funk, and nobody was talking to him. And so, I've always assumed that that's the reason Troy Aikman retired because they were still a good football team at that time. But he said it had nothing to do with it. And in fact, he said three years into his retirement, he almost decided to come back and play for the Miami Dolphins when Wanstad was head coach, and North Turner was the offensive coordinator for the Dolphins. They called him and asked him to come back and play, and he almost did it. So hmm. did you always assume that he was uh, retired because of his concussions?
2: You know, I couldn't remember with him, but it. it, it I, so I didn't remember exactly why. I think it's interesting that he made a point to say that yeah. wasn't the case. You yeah, know? Probably because he hears um, it all well, the not, time. I'm not sure why he would necessarily point that out, but, yeah, that, that's interesting.
1: He said the reason he retired was because uh, some of the uh, front office management decisions that were being made that he did not feel was in the best interest of the team that he had no control over. So he made he made the point that, it was not due to concussions, and it was due to front office management decisions as far as uh, the team that he didn't like. So pretty interesting that he didn't mm. make that distinction. <laughs> so, he
2: Yeah, I, I know in that, in that football life he did talk about the fact that, um, you know, he loved playing for uh, Barry Switzer that one year at Oklahoma, but then he got injured and transferred out there. And so he was telling everybody, hey, you're going to like playing for Switzer when he came in and seceded or took over for Jimmy Johnson. And then he said Switzer was totally different. Like yeah. he was he had kinda of lost that edge by the time he got to the Cowboys and uh he was like, Yeah, I'm not yeah, they wasn't a big fan. I mean, they won a Super Bowl, but that was Jimmy's team, you know, he just kinda of guided him along and then they did start going downhill.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, he said they he felt like uh, Switzer didn't really have control of the players and wasn't uh, hard-nosed and wasn't driven to win the way that Troy Aikman was at that point in his career. He said uh, he it felt like when Switzer was younger and he was trying to make a name, Switzer was hard-nosed, hey, let's win it. And he tried to tell Switzer, he goes, that's still how I am. As a young quarterback, I want to win it. I want to be the young guy pushing it. I want to win it. So I need you to be in that coaching mode to help me along. I don't want to be the bad guy all the time yelling at guys not doing their job. That needs to be you. I want to be the good cop. He said Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson and his role <laughs> were opposite because Jimmy Johnson was hard-nosed on the players and Troy Aitman said, came along and put a pat on his back. Hey, it's going to be okay. We'll get this job done, you know. He said with the uh, Barry yeah. Switzer era because Barry didn't, didn't have that oversight that he felt like he was always yelling at the players and he became the bad guy. So you can see why that would wear on you if you're the team leader and you're trying to put this together and you feel like you're the one having to be uh, on top of guys and hard nose on them when they're not doing their job. You can see why that would wear on yeah. you after a while. Yeah,
2: and, you know, football, well, any any pro sport, but especially football because it's so physical and so violent and it's so painful and yada, yada, yada. It If not everybody's trying to win, if not everybody's all in, you know, I mean I guess look, if you're a baseball player and you're a reserve and you sit the bench most of the time, you can milk it a few more years and make some extra money and yeah, do that type of thing. But you know, if it's football, you, you gotta be ready to go when you get out there. Yeah. You, know, you don't want it, you don't want anybody just kind of going through the motions and in in any sport in football, if you've got a guy who looks like he's going through the motions and isn't trying, man, that that drives people crazy. They call that guy out. You know, much more than if you have a guy like in basketball who isn't trying one night or in baseball or something like
1: that. We're going to talk about a story about getting off to quick starts and not trying uh, with uh, Greg Popovich. There were some great comments coming up in Spurs. But before I leave the uh, Troy Aikman interview with uh, Football Life on NFL Network, Troy Aikman also had a couple of – I'd forgotten a couple of injuries he had. He got injured in his rookie year, had a broken hand and missed some time. But really the big one was we almost didn't see the dynasty dynasty with uh, Aikman, Irvin, and Emmitt Smith, because in Aikman's second year, and, and I'd forgotten this entirely, you may not have, but he injured his knee uh, with about five games left to go in the season. Steve Burline comes in, and they uh, Cowboys reel off five games in a row. They make the playoffs. Troy Aikman is then ready to play on the last game of the season as well as in the playoffs, and they choose to go with Steve Burline over Aikman. Aikman uh, in the interview was like, hey, I was ready to play. I was ready to play in the last game of the season. I was ready to play in the first game of the playoffs. And uh, you know, I didn't play in that game. We ended up. I think they beat. Uh, they won like sixteen to thirteen in that first game of the playoffs. So Burline got a win. And then in the second playoff game, he came out. He didn't play very well. They put eight men in at the end, and and just it didn't didn't go very yeah. well. But he said if he didn't feel like, he actually told Randy Galloway, one of the big reporters in, uh, in the uh, Metroplex area, Dallas area, that he wanted to be traded. He and he said, call me on Monday. Don't tell anybody. But I'm going to be asked to be traded because I want a place where I feel like I'm the guy in charge. I don't want to be doing this the rest of my career, me and uh, Steve Berline going back and forth. I'm going to be asked to be traded. So he said that he called Randy Galloway, Troy Aikman did on Monday, and said, hey, to, uh, Jimmy Johnson called me in the office. He said I'm his guy next year. He's going to stick with me. This is 1993. And he did stick with him, and they ended up winning the Super Bowl, and it all came. <laughs> it ended up being good, but – Jimmy Johnson had to make a decision there based on an injury to Troy Aikman. Burline did well. They come in with Burline, takes him to the playoffs, wins a playoff game. But, man, you almost lost Troy Aikman for his entire career, wanting to be traded at that point in time in his career. That would have changed the Dallas Cowboy franchise, ooh, for a long time,
2: man. Isn't it funny, Those, I mean, so much of it comes down to little decisions. Because, you know, looking back, you go, Aikman's all-of-famer. Why would you ever choose him over Steve Burline? But, Aikman hadn't done anything yet, you know? I mean, he hadn't proven anything. And Berline, he was actually a really good quarterback. I mean, he won some games. Did he go down to Atlanta and win a few games? He he won some games at places. He was a good quarterback in the league, you know? Uh And so you could see why a guy might go, I mean, it's just hard. It's hard to project out, right? It's hard to project that, oh, Troy Aikman's going to be a Hall of Famer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and he almost lost him. What because we well, lost him because of an injury. So an injury brings in another guy. It's it's very similar to the Tony Romo story right now. So you know we're probably going to lose Tony Romo. I'm not saying that that's the same scenario as what you see with Troy Aikman early in his career, but we're probably going to not see Troy Aikman playing for the Dallas Cowboys because of an injury he had that allowed Dak Prescott to come in and become who he is today. So you know, it's injuries play a huge part in who uh, goes on to succeed and who doesn't, and who gets a chance and who doesn't. But and it's not only in uh, Dak Prescott's case, it wasn't only the injury to Tony Romo, it was also the injury in the preseason to uh, Kellen Moore, right? Yeah, they had two injuries that had to occur for Dak Prescott to get a chance. Man, has it worked out for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, but those are two stories I saw in the NFL life uh, with Troy Aikman that I felt like I had totally forgotten about with regards to injuries, or one of them I just got wrong. I thought Troy Aikman, he retired due to his concussion. He did not. And here's my other question for you, Ferris. In the world of concussion that we live in today, we the movie about concussion, the chronic traumatic encephalopathy. We now hear the pedi- pediatricians are coming out. Some of them are saying, you know, we got to limit uh, football in the young kids. We're going to talk about that story later on here on Docs and Jocks. Do we attribute too much? Two concussions because we're so aware of it now. I mean, we contribute Troy Aikman retiring because of concussion. Has the pendulum swung so far that we just hey everything that happens to a player after their career's over or if they retired it's due to concussions? I mean, have we swung the pendulum a little too far?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I probably not. I mean, there's so much that the stuff that happens to the brain with all these concussions that. Um, it's probably good if we have swung it too far that we're so hypersensitive to it right now. And then like, to your point, it'll it'll kinda of swing back to a more probably natural, good place. Yeah. But yeah, I think I don't think there's anything wrong with it being, you know, everybody being hypersensitive to concussions. I don't think wrong with parents going, No, 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 not gonna do it. And then maybe in five years they don't say that, you know. Right. Because um, we just don't know. We just don't know those effects we really don't we are learning but we still don't know
1: yeah especially i think when you're dealing with a pediatric brain i mean as a parent w- there's nothing more important to us than our kids i mean you've had a, you've had to deal with this with your children you had one with, with a, a seizure disorder it's a brain disorder right as a parent that is yep. incredibly incredibly complicated and we want to do everything that's right for our kids so if we can avoid any injury to the brain at all possible i, I think you're right i think safety overrules whatever it is we're talking about with uh, Football and how much we love it when you're talking about that pediatric brain and we need to take care of it to the extent we can as parents. It's our job, right?
2: Right, absolutely, absolutely. And i that's why I never get critical or fault a parent. I mean, you had some people come on and go, oh, people, they're ruining the game. You know, moms are getting too sensitive. They're scared. They don't want – no. You know, yeah. you do the best you can as a parent. You make the decisions. When the kid wants to do it, you know, yeah. uh, later on to make their own decision. But, yeah, I have no problem with saying, hey, we're not, we're not going to play that sport. There's plenty of other sports to play. It is a great sport. It teaches a lot of character. A lot of kids, you know, that are successful later say, hey, I learned that in football. But, yeah, it, it's a weird time. It is. There's a lot going on. I mean, they never had, like, a movie called ACL injury, you know. So <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, it, it is a big deal. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's too much. You're right.
1: Hey, uh, speaking of NFL football, a couple things I found out as well is I found out that you're still a Kansas City Chiefs fan. You had uh, pl- pledged to never watch the Kansas City Chiefs ever again. The Andy Reid, you weren't going to allow yourself to be tortured by him where you get in the playoffs and then he makes a, a crazy call, in your opinion, and they don't continue winning. But last night I found out you're still a Kansas City Chiefs fan as your Kansas City Chiefs went out and beat the Oakland Raiders. So uh, you still can't, you still rooting for KC, huh?
2: Did I say I'd never watch a game again? You said you
1: weren't going to watch the NFL ever again. That you were a CFL fan. I think that's per That does sound like me. <laughs> yeah. No, I yeah.
2: look. There's there's a nostalgia thing, right? I grew up rooting for the Chiefs, so there's yeah, a part of it that still is concerned and cares about them. And they were on, and I had nothing else going on. I honestly don't watch them on Sundays or anything because I don't have the NFL ticket. And if they are on, I'm just busy those days. But I, I do, I do, yeah, yeah, fine,
1: I'll be a fan, whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. And last night, you know, we saw there was a big play that actually, I believe, changed the outcome of the game based on how it was played due to an injury. If you're watching, uh, you and I uh, were commenting back and forth. The Oakland Raiders decide to go for it. Uh, it was fourth and six on the 14-yard line. Uh, one, one like one and a half minutes to go. They're down by uh, uh, one score. And instead of yeah. going for the six yards and the first down, they throw a fade to the end zone. And uh, later on, it was comment- the commentators were talking about how the reason they did that was because the defensive back for the Kansas City Chiefs, who was originally going to start, he couldn't because of an injury. So his backup was playing, and they were trying to pick on the backup as why they tried to go for the big hit as opposed to going the first down. But really, you and I were like, why would they make that call? Why did they go for the end zone when all they needed was six yards for the first down? and they went ahead and tried to get the big hit and win it. It was because of an injury, and they were trying to pick on the backup of the defensive back and uh, worked out for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. He made a great play, the, ba- the backup did, and that's what you play for as a backup. Man, next man up. you got to make the play when you get the chance. you got to shine, and he did. Good play for him.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it was a weird play call, uh, but we're seeing that a lot in the NFL now. Like We saw Bruce Arian uh, in a game where they're winning against the Redskins, they had a fourth down and one on like their own thirty-five yard line, up by I think two points, and he goes for it. You know, I thought they were going to line up and just just try to get them off sides and then punt the ball because if you punt the ball, you know you, you make you make the Redskins come down the field. But we're seeing coaches go for. He went for it on fourth and one on his own thirty-six, would have been in field goal range to lose the game had they not made it, and they made it and they they won the game. We're seeing that a lot for these guys. Jack Del Rio went for two for the win. You know, the very first game of the year. So. I think a lot of coaches are getting more aggressive saying, hey, I might not have a chance here to, to do something, so I'm, I'm going for it. And that was an aggressive play, go for a touchdown as opposed to a six-yard out pattern to have Cooper or something.
3: Yeah, but, right. and It
2: didn't work out, thankfully, for the Chiefs. But I don't know. Uh, the Raiders have a pretty good team. They just have had real a lot of trouble with the Chiefs. Chiefs have been in twice this year.
1: Yeah, they have. Yeah, and the Chiefs have just just dominated them. I mean, I think there's something like 10-1 in their last 11 matchups, something, something ridiculous like that. The Chiefs have just absolutely dominated the Raiders. Hey, here's the other thing. It was a Thursday night game. I'm not a big fan of Thursday night games, not because I think the NFL is oversaturated, but I think it's just difficult on players. When you play a game on Sunday and then you come back and play on Thursday, you can't tell me that those players are fully healed and fully ready to go. It's not like uh, baseball where you're pitching on three days. I mean, you're you're playing football. I mean, these are offensive linemen and running backs and safeties that have taken big hits. I feel like you need to be fully recovered before you go out back out and play. I think just from a safety standpoint, I'm not a fan of the Thursday night games. Do you enjoy watching them? Is that something you enjoy? Do you enjoy the Thursday night no. games? I don't either. I don't, I don't. No. I
3: don't. I,
2: I, I've talked to a couple of people that have just. I've talked to a lot of people because I mean the ratings are down what seventeen percent or yeah, something on yeah. the NFL. I've talked to a lot of people and I've asked them, is it is it you know is it is it concussions is it what? And most of them say it's oversaturation. It's like I can watch them Thursday, I can watch them Sunday, I can watch them Monday. They're going to be on Saturdays again once the playoffs. You know the last. Yeah. It's just too much, you know. I want a yeah. break. It's remember when it used to be you had to watch Sunday and yeah. Monday. Oh man. <laughs> you know, now sometimes there's two games on on Monday night. Yeah they, own they the, stop, enough.
1: yeah, they own the day of the week, they call it. They own Sunday, but that was the big day. Was Sunday it was your football day. Your wife knew that that was going to be the day you watched football, and every other day you know, you weren't watching it. But now, yeah, you're right. But I just think from a player safety standpoint, from a sports medicine standpoint, oh, yeah. I, think, I think it's just more difficult on the players. Hey, when we yeah. come back, we're going to be talking to uh, Dallas Cowboys right tackle Doug Free and everything going on with the Dallas Cowboys right now. Won't want to miss this on Docs and Jocks on the other side.
3: Amazing, so amazing, so
1: amazing, so amazing. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan. Comes you live from inside D1 Abilene Radio Studios. Great to have you with us Dave. Just catching our show for the very first time. Want to find out more about the show? Feel free to do that at docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Get caught up on your sports medicine radio. As well as you can download our iTunes app at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. I'm Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician. Joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris, uh, man, we are very lucky, Ferris, to have on today. Uh, starting right tackle for the Dallas Cowboys, Doug Free, good friend of uh, Docs and Jocks. Thanks for being on the show today, Doug. Uh,
5: thanks for having
1: me. Man, it's always a lot of fun to have uh, any time to have an interview with you, but this is especially fun. Uh, 11-1 sounds good. It has a nice ring to it, doesn't it?
5: Yeah, we've had a good year so far. Just got to keep the pedal to the metal and just keep going.
1: Absolutely, and you know everybody talks about the Dallas Cowboys. What's happened? What's the change? What's new? What's why are they why are they doing so well this year? In that conversation, whoever has that conversation, it's always brought up is the stellar, incredible offensive line of the Dallas Cowboys that you've been the anchor of and really the veteran of that offensive line. Talk about the the group you have currently playing offensive line for the Dallas Cowboys and uh, the cohesiveness of that group.
5: Well, we had, we've got the same group we had two years ago in '14. This year, you know. Uh, Bail got hurt early on, so uh, Ron Leary stepped in and has been playing left guard. Done a well jo- real good job with that. Uh, just, I think the biggest thing we have is we've got a lot of guys with a lot of experience. You know, for being as young as they are, you know, uh, all the other guys on the line are a little bit younger than me, but I mean, have a lot of game experience and high draft picks and just great players. So I think that helps quite a bit. And then, the, as a group, we spend a lot of time together. The whole offensive line, you know, not even the starters. I mean, everybody spends a lot of time together, so we've got a good relationship as a group, and I think that helps our play.
1: And, you know, in your NFL career, it's like life has sped up. You know, you were the young guy, and then now suddenly you're the veteran of that group. Tell us how your role has changed over the years with the Dallas Cowboys Cowboys uh, now being the veteran of an uh, offensive line that's considered the best in the NFL.
5: Um, roles change to some extent. Um, new guys come in, young guys come in. You know, they look to the older guys, you know, for all different sorts of things, little pointers on things, and just how to, how to work, how to do things and stuff like that. So, I mean, I guess I've... I'm not a very vocal uh, leader, I wouldn't say, but, I mean, the guys come in, they see how I work, and then they work, you know, and, I mean, the biggest thing now is we've got so many guys with a lot of experience and a lot of, you know, maybe not years-wise, but, I mean, veteran players and their play time. But, I mean, we've got a great group of guys to lean on just with all the experience we have.
1: Absolutely. Ferris?
2: Hey, Doug, take me back to, I think it was in August when, when Romo first got hurt and you didn't know how good Dak would be. You didn't know anything. Um, what, what was the thought process of the squad when you found out that Tony was going to be out?
5: Well, it was rough, you know. At, the, at that time, I think our backup quarterback, Kellen Moore, was hurt as well. You know, we had really no idea what was going to happen or what was going to go down, you know, or how the year was going to go, you know. The main thing I think the entire team took an approach is, you know, there's nothing we can do about it now. Let's just move forward, you know. And we trucked along, and whoever they put back there, you know, uh, that came in right away and did a great job, you know. but. Uh, we just stayed focused on the task, hand. next week, you know, the next play, and didn't look, didn't look around for answers or question each other. We just did our job.
2: Is, is Jason Garrett a, a big part of that, that mental attitude, or are you guys all, and you've been in the league so long, you kind of take, take it on yourself to keep mentally stable? Because Garrett seems like he's always very even keel, no matter what's happening.
5: Yeah, Coach is definitely very even-keeled no matter what's happening. And I think um, it has a lot to do with the players that are around. You know, we've got a great group of veteran players, you know, with uh, Jason Witten and stuff like that and some of the guys over on defense. That just, I mean, it stay even-keeled. You know, no matter what happens, we know it's the next play. You know, there, there's nothing you can do about what's happened in the past. All you can worry about is what happens in
1: the future. You know when we watch uh, the Dallas Cowboys uh, run, and we see Ezekiel Elliott doing what he's doing this year, we see him running behind a veteran like yourself and then uh, Jason Witten. Yeah, tell us, talk to us about uh, his style of running and how it seems to be uh, working with your offensive line, and how he's uh, been able to find the holes and uh, rush for what he's doing this year.
5: Well, he's been doing a great job. I think in the beginning of the year, he, you know, he's kind of new to the system and stuff like that. He wasn't quite as patient. And uh, as the weeks have gone on, he's just gained so much knowledge in the overall scheme of the offense, even with pass protection, uh, blitz pickup, all different kinds of things. You know, He's definitely grown and matured as the years gone on at an incredible rate. And he's just been a great teammate and a great guy to play with. I mean, just the heart he plays with and the toughness.
3: Absolutely. it has been amazing. Hey Doug, did
2: did he did he come in that way? I'm always amazed about guys who are, you know, they're the great running backs in college, they get all the pomp and circumstance, they're all these articles, they're a first round draft pick, and then they come into a team like yours that has so many veterans. Did he come in kind of humble and ready to learn? Was it a learning experience for everybody with him?
5: I think he definitely came in ready to learn. You know, um he's, he's got a different kind of personality as you guys probably know or whatever, but he definitely came in with an attitude to learn. He's got a You know, Darren McFadden's still here. You know, Darren taught him a bunch of things. Uh, So, I mean, I think that helped him progress quite a bit. And then, you know, all the running backs in general, I mean, they got a pretty tight group as well, and all of them worked together, you know. And I think that's what helped progress him along as fast as he did.
1: And uh, we're talking to Doug Free with the Dallas Cowboys here on Dox & Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. And, uh, you know, you've had Tony Romo in your huddle for so long, uh, Doug, and now you see a rookie quarterback in there. Talk to us about the dynamic in the huddle with a rookie quarterback, and have you uh, become accustomed to his style and how he's leading the team right now?
5: Yeah, each quarterback has kind of their own little style to some extent. I mean, we run the same plays, as far as I know, with either quarterback. You know, it's just uh, some of the snap count things are a little bit different, and things of that sort. But, I mean, it's the same plays. Um, Dak came in from the beginning, um, knowing his stuff real well. I mean, he's had some learning experiences as, well, as Zeke has, you know, both of them being yeah. younger players and having a lot of experience in the NFL. But they've both done a great job, you know, dealing with the adversity and just staying focused.
1: Sure.
2: Hey, Doug, what's what's your favorite play to run? You don't have to give <laughs> us the, the, the actual play call. But when you're in the huddle and, and Dak says, hey, we're going to do Z split, whatever, And you're like, man, this is mine. I get to go blow up a linebacker. I get to blow up a defense. What's your favorite play?
5: I don't really necessarily have a favorite play, to tell you the the truth. I mean, each week it can be different, you know, depending on the defense we play and stuff like that. Each week it's maybe a different play, you know. But every week we have multiple plays that I really enjoy running. So there's really not one in particular.
1: Man, there's not a play, Doug, where they make you eligible down the field and you become a wide receiver. (laughs) They don't have that one. I'd love to see it, man. That'd be a lot of fun. Holy cow! I don't know about that. That'd I've, be scary. I'm, I'm real good at blocking people. You know, I'm <laughs> yeah. pretty good at blocking people. I'd rather yeah. stick with that. <laughs> Let Jason catch the balls next to you, huh? Yeah. 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 Hey, you know what? Uh, with the New York Giants coming up, it always seems like with the Dallas Cowboys and New York Giants, we just throw the records out the window. But this year, you know, uh, you're number one in the NFCs. They're sitting number two. You have it's a little bit of a revenge game after that first uh, game loss with the, the New York Jets. I mean, I mean, the New York Giants. Tell us what you're looking forward to in this game coming up.
5: Well, it's definitely going to be a good game. The Giants played well this year as well. You know, um, they got it from the first game. You know, they definitely won the game. But you know, I think as a team, we've matured a lot since then. We uh, had a lot of young guys starting and getting a lot more time. You know, that have progressed over the season. So, I mean, no matter what happens, it's going to be a great game. All the games in the NFC, you know, are great games. You yeah. know, or at least in our division. You know, right. it's a tough division. Each team, no matter what their record are, it's always tough in division games. Pretty much for any division.
2: Sure. Fierce. Hey Doug, the Dallas Cowboys are arguably the most popular team in the world. I hear Jerry Jones talk, they're the most popular team in the universe, right? But how how did you deal with that when you first came to the Dallas Cowboys? All of that media scrutiny and everybody talking about every little thing that happened.
5: Um, Basically in the beginning, I didn't really start my first two years. You know, It took a little while to kind of get into a starting role, so I kind of learned some of the things from the older guys and the aspects, you know, and got used to the media scrutiny. And then just once you get past that, you know, uh, as I've gone older, you know, gotten older and played more, it's just something, I mean, it happens. It's, it's, it's the media, you know, it is what it is, and take the good with the bad and just keep rolling one day to the next.
1: And I believe you got your start, Doug, if I remember this right, I believe it was an injury uh, to Mark Colombo is how you got your first start, kind of like Dak Prescott getting a, his start when uh, Romo and uh, Kellen Moore go down. But wasn't that how you got your first real role as a starter at tackle? I, th- I thought it was Mark Colombo, I can't remember.
5: Yep, yep, yeah. that's very true. Yeah, so
1: yeah. it's always the next man up, and uh, you did it in your career. You know, and if you get a chance, man, you came out and you shine and you did well, and so you get that chance. So there's always that. It's like Babe Loffenberg. We, we interviewed Babe the other day, and we said, Babe, we know when you're a backup quarterback, you never wish an injury on the guy ahead of you. And he goes, Hey, let's just be serious here, be honest for a moment. When you're a backup, you always want the guy ahead of you to get injured. I just kind of laughed. We were like, Babe just said that on air, but he did. <laughs> but you do, you sometimes uh-huh. get your chance by the guy ahead of you getting an injury. You don't wish it upon him, but yeah, you want to get in there.
5: Well, I think everybody in NFL they want to play, you know, yeah. show what they can do, you know. And, but I mean, the intro part—that's kind yeah, of no, <laughs> maybe that, a little bit
1: too far. Yeah, but. that was Babe. Yeah, that was Babe. Blaufferberg. <laughs> yeah. It was a funny one, but yeah, fair. She had a had a question.
2: Hey, hey, Doug. We were talking about it, and, and we're just you know giving our opinions. But how hard is it for an NFL player to play a game on a Sunday? We just saw the Chiefs and yeah. the Raiders do it, and then have to play a game on a Thursday. How
5: does your body feel just four days later? Um, it's it 's tough um as you, as you get older it definitely gets a little bit harder and harder uh when you 're younger, you bounce back quicker, you know, but as you get older, it takes a little bit more time to recover from the games and stuff like that. uh The biggest thing we do you know, I think pretty much every team does kind of reduce the hitting that week you know it 's a little bit slower pace in practice you know try to get the bodies to recover as much as you can, get extra treatment in you know cold tubs, hot tubs, warm up just whatever you can do to kind of recover your body that much faster, but I mean when you look at it. A lot of times the team, you know, that you're playing is going through the same situation. So I mean, it is what it is. do,
2: do most of the guys and I mean you can kind of give your opinion of what most of the guys think or tell us what you think. Do most of the guys like playing on Thursday night? I mean you're the only game in town, so everybody's watching it. Or would or would you rather that go away? I know the NFL's talking about that.
5: I haven't I really haven't put much thought in it, to tell you the all truth. I just my my main motto is: you tell me when to play, I'll be there. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't put much thought into whether I and like fair- the game. Don't like, you know, it is what it is. I I think it's a night for you know two teams to showcase what they can do. You you're, you're the only teams on TV that night, so I mean it's kind of a nice opportunity. But I mean it's also kind of a difficult thing for teams. You know, it's a short week.
1: And Ferris also, you know, the Dallas Cowboys are more used to this than most teams because they've played on. Thursday night on things or Thursday on Thanksgiving every year of probably Doug's career right you've always had a Thursday Thanksgiving game is that is that right
3: yep
5: yep yeah We've so done that every year
1: yeah so they've done it every year so some of these teams have not done the Thursday like like Doug has his entire career since 2007 so it'll a little bit different hey, uh, we got uh, some uh, you know, your next uh, few games are going to be on Sunday nights and Monday night. Do you like that schedule better when you're doing some Monday night games and some Sundays? Is, that a, is it easier to get your, when you know you got those seven days to get ready, is it easier to get your body ready?
5: Uh, it really doesn't matter, you yeah. know, Sunday, midday, Sunday night, Monday. You know, it's all, basically we tweak our schedule, so it's always, you know, kind of the same. Right. So, I mean, it really doesn't matter what day the game is on. Uh, having that extra time to, maybe an extra day to get healed up is kind of nice at times, but I mean, overall, it's... Doesn't matter too much.
2: Yeah, Pierce. I mean, obviously, Doug, you guys are having a fantastic season, and you're the front runner in the NFC. But there's still games to play, and that that adage on any given Sunday, any team can beat anybody. Do you guys start allowing yourselves to think about postseason, or do you really have to lock in and say, "No, we just got a game to play next Sunday," and that's what we got to focus on?
5: Yeah, you know, I think the whole team is taking that mentality. You know, each week is the you know it's the most important week. You know, it, it's no looking too far ahead. You know, uh, a lot of things can change. And the, the big thing is keeping the momentum rolling. You know, if you're on a winning streak, keep the winning going, you know. So I think we're focused here, you know, next week is next week. You know, and the next game's the most important one. Stay focused on that and let, let the chips fall where they may.
1: And, and we're talking to Doug Free, the Dallas Cowboys, here on Docs and Jocks. And, Doug, we were interviewing uh, your team nutritionist uh, probably a few weeks ago, and he was talking about how one of the things they use for recovery is uh, cherry juice. Have you actually uh, tried Have you actually done the cherry juice thing and, thing and does it work?
5: Um, yeah, I've actually done the cherry juice thing. Um, whether it necessarily works or not, I'm not 100% sure. It tastes sure. good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it tastes good. And if it, it gives you any sort of slight edge, you know, and it's yeah. legal, why not?
1: Yeah, heck yeah. Yeah, he told us that. also I actually had my son who plays uh, high school football, so we've been doing the cherry juice thing after. I said the Dallas Cowboys do it. Let's let's hop on the bandwagon here. So anyway, but it is interesting. How do you keep your weight from fluctuating from the season to the off offseason? I mean, you guys got to play at a massive weight. You're huge individuals. How do you maintain your weight through the season and then the off season and come back in and play weight the next year? Has that been difficult throughout your career? Are you, are you finding it uh, more difficult as you get a little bit older now, or how, how do you do that?
5: It definitely gets more challenging as you get older. I know when I was younger, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure you guys know, you burn a lot more calories, Yeah. You know, no matter course, what you yeah. do, your metabolism is higher. And then as you get older, you kind of slow down and you're eating a little bit. I have a pretty good uh, – idea of what i need to eat to keep to a certain weight you know and then Uh um in the off season we do a lot of running and stuff like that so that helps quite a bit you know but for me i pretty stay pretty stable you know the entire year on what weight i am i don't fluctuate you know some guys will put on 20 30 pounds in the off season then lose it for the season you know stuff like that but I, i don't have that issue
1: right ferris
2: Hey, I was gonna ask you one other thing, uh, Doug. I was I was really bummed. I'm I'm not not as uh, you know I'm, I'm not in Texas. I'm not as into the Dallas Cowboys as everybody else listening. But I was really bummed that Jason Witten's consecutive game streak, oh, with at least one exception, yeah. was ended. But I gotta imagine he probably didn't even mention it. How, how did he? And how did the team respond to that? Or did, were you guys even aware of it?
5: I wasn't real aware of it, to tell you the truth. I know the media brought it up after the game and stuff like that. Um, it's tough you know um, he's been a great player here. you know he's always caught balls you know and just last week it just didn't happen I mean for Whitten I mean he looks way past that stuff I mean he'd like to catch balls he likes touchdowns you know he likes this and that but I think he's focused on the, the bigger prize you know whatever it takes for our team to win is what he's focused on as well as everybody else.
1: Well, Doug, our time here on Docs and Jocks is always too short with you, but I want to say thank you for coming on. I tell you what, as a Dallas Cowboy fan, this team has been uh, one of the m- most uh, enjoyable teams to watch all year to this point. It just seems like the whole team as a collective group, you guys seem to be very cohesive and uh, have a common goal as, as like no other year, maybe since uh, their mid-early 90s or so. But, man, I want to say thank you as a Cowboy fan. It's just been a, been a pleasure watching you guys. Uh, thank
5: you guys very much. Thanks for having me on.
1: All right. Hey, we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports Spine. Comes to you live from inside D1 Abilene Radio Studios. If you ever want to find out more about D1 Abilene, go to D1Abilene.com. Find out if it is the place for you. The uh, place for the athlete might be the place for you. And, and i tell you what, every one of us have an athlete inside of us that's just trying to get out from age 7 to 70. We'd love to have you be part of D1 Abilene. You get a free trial every time you come and check it out. So just go to D1Abilene.com. Tell them you want a free trial. You come check it out and see if it's the uh, place where you want to do your sports training with a coach in a small group in a small group setting. Every visit, I'm telling you what today they're doing some sledgehammers against a tire. They're doing some. Uh, I saw them doing some uh, dumbbell squats. I saw them doing some kettlebells. They got ropes going. It's crazy out here today. So anytime you want to come check it out, go to d1abling.com and see if it's a place for you. Joined each week by my co-host Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University. Ferris, man, I tell you what, I love the uh, everything about Docs and Jocks. I love. I love talking with. Uh our guests and people who email us, and they can do that by going to docsandjocks.com. Really enjoy the people that we have on air, like Doug Free we just had on. How, how else would you and I, Ferris, get the chance to talk to the starting right tackle for the Dallas Cowboys and uh, get to talk to him about what's going on in that moment? I mean, we hear about that offensive line for the Dallas Cowboys and how great it is. We just talked to the, the most veteran, stable guy in that, uh, in that yeah. offensive line, Doug Free. It was a blast, man. I love it. That's what I love about Docs and Jocks.
2: Yeah, you can tell, too, the Cowboys why they're so successful this year is, you know, he talked about at the very beginning that, the, yeah, the coach is very mentally stable, you know, not a lot of up and down. He's a raw, raw guy at times when he needs to be. But Jason Garrett is very, very calm. But they have a ton of veterans, like that line with him, with Witten. They got a lot of veterans that can just stabilize that locker room, um, and so... I don't know, man. I what I, I said, I said, I said Vikings, Cowboys, NFC Championship game earlier. I'm thinking I might reverse it and make it Vikings, uh, Seahawks, but I don't, I don't see anybody beating them. Man, I'm telling they you, they might what, lose another game, but I don't see anybody beating them. I, I think they're going to the
1: Super Bowl. I hope that's the case. I said it would be a lot of fun, and it, I forgot how fun the Super Bowl was, and when you're Dallas Cowboy fan, because I just watched that NFL uh, Network uh, show called Football Life with Troy Aikman. It took it took me back in time to '93, '94, and was it '96? The years they won it, but those three Super Bowls in that short three or four year period of time, man, I, I forgot how fun it was. And, and listening to that and watching that again kind of brought back that Super Bowl, Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl mentality. And this is a year I think you're right. This, we could go uh, all the way, just got to keep it going. You never know how a first year player is going to play under pressure in the playoff situation. That's the big what if with Dak Prescott and uh, Ezekiel Elliott. But these guys, if anybody seems like they could do it, it seems like these guys could.
2: Now, what what is everybody down there making of Jerry Jones' comments that could be read to mean that he wants to try to figure out a way to get Tony playing time so he can be a part? Yeah,
3: I
1: don't of know. I understand it, but I don't think I think your only goal as a general manager as an owner ought to be just figure out how to win. win. I know. After that, then yeah. everything else is is kind of a mute point. I don't think you try and figure out ways to get Tony Romo playing time so he stays sharp. I think you figure out ways that you can win, and if it just happens to be that you get big enough lead and you don't want to get Dak Prescott injured and so you have a better chance of winning the next week, then you let your backup quarterback come in, no matter who that is. It just happens to be Tony Romo in our case and let him play, but that's not my <laughs> number one goal. I, I guarantee in the high school football game, my son's getting ready to play go Wiley Bulldogs during the semifinals in Texas 4A. Large school's getting ready to play this weekend. The uh, coach is not worried about getting my son Reps, who's these who's the backup strong safety. He's worried about winning the game and that's it. So I don't know sure why it ends, changes in the NFL. I mean, I just say win and then everything else takes care of itself.
2: Well, I don't know who your coach is down there, but if his main game plan is not to get Caleb Mump into the game, <laughs> he's got problems. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like he's, He's missing no, Man, I you, don't know. Well, we've had Hugh Sandifer on uh, docks and jocks before, the head coach at Wiley. And I'll tell you what. He does everything in his ability to try and win. They've got a great coaching staff there with Coach Sandifer. Get him on. Coach Mark. Get him and on today. <laughs> I'm going to talk into him. <laughs> yeah, he's got busier things right now. They're on their way to win a state uh, semifinal <laughs> football game. And then next week, win a state championship for the Wiley Bulldogs. We're playing Kennedale at Birdville, if anybody wants to go to that game tonight. This is the semis? This is the semis. and Next week is the state championship. Be at Jerry, Jones, at, uh, Jerry World if we win.
2: Is it a, is the game tonight on television? Uh, in Texas, TV it probably is? is. I don't.
1: Not, I don't really know that answer to that question because I'm going to be there as a team. Phys- I'm not only a, a proud parent, but I'm also the team physician for Wiley Bulldogs, so I'll be be there in both. You aspects. are. Yeah, been doing that for like. uh only announced uh, How did I not know
2: that? <laughs> so you're on the sideline, and and your son's walking around the sideline. Does he ever come up and go, "Hey, Dad, I just I just want to give you a hug" or anything like
1: that on the sideline? Yeah, the hug part, no, but yeah, on the sidelines, he'll come <laughs> over and say, "Hey, Dad." Yeah, he'll do that. So. Yeah. <laughs> it is different, though, having your son in a game that you're also uh, trying to take care of injuries on because it's a weird, weird dynamic there. You're like in your job mode a little bit, and then you're at your son also when your, yeah. you're in fan mode. So it's hard to combine the two. It's also hard to do that sometimes even when you're just a fan because, like, I've been taking care of hardin Simmons University for uh, going on nearly 20 years, and I'm a fan. I really do like hardin Simmons University, and I want them to win. My best friend is uh, their head coach, just Coach Jesse Burleson, and so one of my very best friends. And so. I mean, I want Coach Bertelson to win, so that's that's the hard part when you're a team physician, and we've talked about this in the past. There's been some articles about where team physicians should be independent and all that kind of stuff. Yes and no. There's a part of you that, you know, wants the team to win. Does that affect my medical decision when somebody gets injured? You know, I would say no. Am I being objective? Am i Am being honest? You know, it's hard to tell because you are such a fan, but at the same time, I know the athletic trainers. I know the kids that are playing for the most part. I know they're you know, if they're tough kids, if they if they have a propensity to tell me whether or not they're injured, or whether they have a propensity to hide it, all those kind of things. So there's good and there's bad that goes along with being a known entity within an organization as their team physician. So I'm kind of torn.
2: Well, I got to tell you, I'm looking at the Star Telegram, and they're picking Kennedale.
1: Are they really? Abilene Reporter News picked uh, Wiley. Believe it or not, would you find that find that uh, unusual? That's shocking. <laughs> they would have they would have got their place where they got yeah. burnt down had they picked kinnedale <laughs> yeah. so allen reporting well, news, it, so. i mean
2: kinnedale's obviously good right are they are they a uh, are they one of those teams that's like a a, a perennial championship team or are they um, have a good year
1: they're good they're good in all sports like they're one of the teams that we face when we play baseball wiley baseball's been really good kinnedale's always one of the good teams probably their biggest uh, player he's they got a 6 foot 4 240 something pound linebacker who has been committed to ohio state playing for kinnedale tonight so that probably makes a big difference. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so no, they're that's good for kid. sure. But when Fort Worth Star Telegram picks Kennedale, that's where Kennedale is. That's like that's the Abilene Reporter-News picking Wiley. I mean, that's that's exact same scenario.
2: Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah this was a Brian Brian Gossett at yeah. the start. So so you can go to Star Telegram, everybody, there in Abley, you can shoot them an email, let me
1: know what you think about that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But big game. The only way you know is by playing the game, and it's cold out night tonight. Yeah. So it's going to be cool weather. Oh, really? A little, a little football weather going on, yeah. The other thing that Ohio State uh, commit for Kennedale hasn't seen is a pulling guard by the name of uh, Cade Parmalee, who is incredible for Wiley. Wiley does have an incredible offensive line, and they're going to have some big guys running at the, the Ohio State commit for Kennedale. So. It's going to be interesting.
2: And the other one is uh, Carthage versus China Spring. Is that, yeah. are, have you have you guys played those guys before? Are they all different regions, different everything?
1: No, we haven't played them before. On China Springs, I don't think we've ever played. Carthage is East Texas. I don't think we've ever played them. I don't. I haven't seen or, or played either one of those. Kennedale is typically uh, we face them in the playoffs if we're going to football, uh, baseball playoffs, that kind of stuff. So Kennedale's in our region area that we play in the playoffs. Whereas you know Texas is so huge. I mean, we're not going to see Carthage or China Springs until. You know, probably the final. So
2: kind of a kind of a rival, I guess, in a way.
1: Yeah, kind of. Yeah, at least I know who Kennedale is. I don't know China Springs and Carthage. I haven't played them. In, I haven't seen Wiley play them ever before that I know of. But, well,
2: this guy's picking Kennedale and Carthage, so we got to shock the world. Mm-hmm. Abilene Wiley's got to shock the world.
1: Shock the world in the world in the words of uh, who was that? Muhammad Ali? Shock the world? I shocked the world. Yeah.
2: So he actually did shock the world when he knocked out <laughs> Sonny Liston.
1: <laughs> that is true. That is true. Hey, on the end of the segment, by the way, we're going to have on Tracy Munton, who is with uh, the Edge Mental Strength. She's going to talk about different ways to use uh, your mental and sports psychology to uh, allow you to be the best athlete you can be. Remember, you can go to the Edge icon, and uh, we're the mental strength coach uh, here at D1 Abilene. Uh, her name of her entity is called the Edge Mental Strength, and just go to docsandjocks.com, click on that Edge Mental Strength uh, icon, and you can get a free evaluation. Just fill out the evaluation, as any athlete would, and just send it in to her through uh, email, and she will fill that out for you and can get it back to you so you can find out where you're starting at with regards to your mental strength. That'll be coming up, uh, our Mental Strength Minute, on the end of this segment. Also, uh, Ferris, I thought we could talk about before we – remember, next segment we're having on Scott Williams, uh, the Chicago mm, Bulls yep. former three-time NBA champion. Uh, Scott Williams, who was your – uh, cohort there with uh, Grand Canyon University. he's now a broadcaster for their uh, TV production there. So did you have a comment you want to say first? Did you have something you want to say?
2: Well, I you know I, I don't know I'm probably diverting us off chart because we are a sports medicine program, but I just wondered you were talking about Tracy month and the mental strength. Does it help your mental strength to find out that uh, Dexter Fowler is going to the Cardinals away from the Cubs? You lost Hayward last year. You're getting Fowler
1: this year. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting because there for so long the Cowboys had such a <laughs> uh, glut of outfielders that now suddenly we're needing to pick up outfielders. You know, we had Matt Holliday and then we had Grichik and uh, we had. Uh, it just seemed like we had too many outfielders. Now we go out and pick one up. But Dexter Fowler, I think, is a good addition. I think he's going to be better. You know, gritchik last year struggled the plate, not a real high average, hit probably 20 plus home runs. But a lot of strikeouts, a guy that was expected to be better than he was. So I think Dexter Fowler, who is a, to me, he's more of a typical uh, center field, speedy, go get the ball kind of guy. You know, when you have a uh, Piscotty out there and Grichik and. Uh, was holiday i mean they just didn't it just wasn't it just didn't seem like Mm -hmm. an outfield that had a lot of speed to it so i like speed i love speed in baseball i think it always makes you better dexter fowler's one of those kind of guys can steal you know 40 bases he can also hit possibly 20 home runs so i like it i like the deal how about yourself five
2: year 82.5 million dollars i like fowler i like him a lot i think he was uh he's pretty consistent Uh, he's always around 271 hitter but gets on base runs good defense yeah i I think he's a, he's a prototypical cardinal type of player, too. You know, he's not real flashy. Um, he's not real me, me, me. He's a team guy. And so, yeah, it makes sense to me.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be a good addition. So, hey, uh, big news came out. Uh, if you're watching the sports medicine world, we were watching uh, the we, – We you and I have talked about this several times in the past. Uh, the World Anti-Doping Association came out with their new report this week, and they announced that the uh, findings of the Russians uh, – remember, Russia was accused – of having doped their athletes for an extended period of time, basically a government-sanctioned doping program to try and increase their uh, athletes' ability to get gold medals. And so they came out with their uh, findings this week. So this is the actual evidence behind the allegations. And they now say it's a widespread institutional conspiracy of doping that they found over a 1,000 Russian Olympic athletes uh, in over 30 different sports, they found evidence of doping, including evidence of sample swapping. So in, uh, this included the 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics as well as the uh, 2012 um, Summer Olympics. And so we, and this is the one that got me, Ferris. They also found evidence of cheating, doping, in the Paralympics. So these are the disabled uh, athletes who are horrible. now doing doping for Russia to get Olympic gold medals, man, golly, what would what would they not stoop to? So, it's a they had some pretty strong words. If you if you find this if you read this article, they said it was a massive program of cheating and cover up that was unprecedented at any level and occurred from 2011 to 2015. Is when they really went back and looked at the timeline of when it was really really occurring heavily, and they said it was an international sports have been playing on an uneven field. And uh, they have; it's been they they've been deceived as fans. We've been deceived, and it's time that comes to a stop. So, man, when you're cheating in the Paraly- so what do you do
2: though? Like what what penalty can you do? Because I mean, so so all of our guys, everybody's guys, were cheating. They were cheating, and and we're competing against them, and we're losing. Yeah. So you can't. You can't. I mean, even if you took the medal away. You can't go back and give that ceremony and that victory. You know what I mean? I know.
1: I know. I lose So what do prestige. you do? And if
2: you penalize them right now, you'd like to think there's some clean guys coming up going, well, now how come I can't be up, you know? It's yeah. just like, ugh. What mess. do you do?
1: I don't know. It's an entire sanctioned institutional cheating program for over 1,000 athletes, 30 sports, in several different Olympics for over four or five years of time frame yeah. that we know of. So, yeah, you're exactly right. How do you clean it up? Here's my
2: question. Time? Here's my question. How do they get away with it that long?
1: They had a whole program where they were trying to figure out how to deceive the testers. So they knew what the tests were. So you're talking about when you're an institutionalized program, when you're a government entity, you know what the tests are going to be happen at World Anti-Doping Association. So you just figure out ways around the test, and then they do swapping of samples. So if you go in and you give a sample of urine that's dirty, they'll just exchange it for a athlete they know is clean. So... You have to do it. You're supposed to be doing a kind of a self check on your on your own athletes and also at the Olympic Games. So they were just trying to stay one step ahead of the labs. The problem is the labs got better and went back and checked and found out, hey, there's DNA evidence of swapping going on, these guys have been cheating for this long. Pretty, pretty uh, sad report all the way around. I mean, we were cheating in the Paralympics. That's horrible. Give me a freaking break. It's crazy, man. I'm glad they got caught. Hey, when we come back, we're going to <laughs> <laughs> be talking to Chicago uh, Bulls, former three-time NBA champion Scott Williams, and all things NBA and all things NCAA basketball. When we come back here on Docs and Jocks.
6: With winter upon us and football and school winding down, many athletes find that they have a little extra time on their hands. The question is, what will they do with that time? For most students, it means sleeping in, playing video games, and spending time with friends and family. While all of these things are fine, the exceptional athlete will find a way to continue working on getting stronger, faster, and better at his sport. The hardworking athlete will not see his time off as a break, but rather an opportunity to work harder. Many talented athletes do not have a strong work ethic, and they may find they are no longer the best, but have been outdone by those who work harder. A quote that I love from President Calvin Coolidge states, Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. This quote is a perfect example of how an athlete with dedication, strong work ethic, and the drive to improve daily can beat the lazy, apathetic, talented athlete any day. If you or an athlete you know would like to work on developing drive and passion to be the best, you can contact us at the EDGE Mental Strength Training by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. This has been your Mental Strength Minute.
1: Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Docs, or with uh, Texas Sports and Spine. Coming to you live from inside D1 Abilene Radio Studios. Great to have you joining our show here, our sports medicine radio show. If you want to find out more about our show, go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. There you can find about, i find out everything you want to know about your host, Dr. Dan, as well as my co host Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon University. You can also, uh, on that, uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, all the social medias, uh, Twitter, you name it. We're there on Docs and Jocks com follow us uh, on, uh, anytime you anytime you want. Also, you can go to iTunes app and, and download Docs and Jocks D O X N J O X and you can listen to our show anytime as well. Anytime at your convenience. I do want to say thank you to our sponsors, including Abilene Sports Medicine Orthopedics, Dr. Funk, Doctor Depraying, and Doctor Maroney. Couldn't do our show here without our wonderful sponsors. Ferris, uh, we have a uh, guest with us uh, this segment. We have on uh, in studio here with us former Kansas City Chiefs strength and conditioning uh, intern uh, Hagan Little, who is now a D one Abilene uh, coach. Coach Little, thanks for being on the show.
7: Yeah, thank you guys for having me.
1: You know, you're always backed by popular demand. Uh, we, you know, I think it was last segment you just happened to throw in there that you were single, and ever since then we've had, uh, I mean, all our all our female. Uh, uh, you know, listeners here have been saying we've got to get Coach a Little back Yeah, I on.
7: keep getting asked about that outside of here, too, as well. So, <laughs> I,
1: I appreciate you guys. Dr. to Josh all the way. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, so, well, last night you were with uh, Kansas City Chiefs. So I thought it would be fun to have you on, talk a little Kansas City Chiefs football. We saw a big win for them over the Oakland Raiders. You know, really re- needed that win to kind of clinch up. You know, Oakland. Oakland has been playing so good this year, but uh, Kansas City. By the way, Ferris is now back on the Kansas City Chiefs bandwagon. He left you there for a while when uh, ooh, things weren't going so ooh, well last year with Andy yeah. Reid making support decisions. No,
2: stop it. <laughs> I'm I'm not on the Andy Reid, Coach Reid for president bandwagon. I'm never going to be on that one.
1: <laughs> so, but, but you I lost- love the Chiefs. Big win last night. Uh, if we watched that game. A couple big injuries we saw there. One was with uh, Derek Johnson. I had a had a rupture of his Achilles tendon again, I, and you, I think he had that happen when you were there, right?
7: Yes, I, I believe so. My last year there, I think it happened the actual um, first game. Um, again, yeah. I don't really know a lot on the details of that. I don't really kind of sort and talk about the injuries with them anymore. But yeah. Um, I know it's a devastating injury for sure. I know that's oh, going to no. be
1: one for sure we're going to miss. But I didn't realize it had to happen, it happened before as a second time, but. You know, it's really common uh, in uh, NFL football players that once you rupture Achilles tendon because there's such a heavy, aggressive pull on your Achilles, about six times your body weight. And these are massive individuals you're dealing with. Massive moving quick, <laughs> <too>. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so when you see that happen, you know, you, you, you assume it probably tore where it had had the uh, repair at. You never know, but it can happen. It can have a re-rupture, or sometimes once they've had a rupture, they have a hard time coming back. But you work in the strength conditioning is one of those things you have to deal with injuries on a pretty regular basis when you're in an th- NFL team. You're trying to get these guys back on to the playing field, and when you're dealing with a guy like that, man, it's hard sometimes. It takes a lot of time.
7: And so, and I'll tell you this. Some things are, un, you know, as, as you guys know, some of these are unpredictable. Some things happen. Yeah. It's just, you know, no matter what kind of training you do, um, there's some things that are just freak accidents. Yeah. But, you know, as, as a strength addition coach, you know, here at D1 as well, as a, as a trainer here, our job is to make sure you're the best potential athlete that you can be. Right. But you've got to do it smart in a progressions. and. I think that's kind of something that gets missed sometimes because, you know, like for me, for instance, like myself, if someone were to get injured on my watch and I was doing programming for them, I'd take it personal because I'll, I love each and every athlete that I work with, each and every client, each and every member that I work with. I love each and every one of them the same way. So if someone were to get hurt, I've got to look back at my program. Maybe it was a trip. Maybe it was something that I can't control, but I always try to control every factor that I can. I always try to go in, you know, maybe stretching five minutes at the end of a workout. I don't know what it is. I'll I'll do. We do footsies here. I don't know if you remember doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I nicknamed them footsies. Okay, it's a weird name. I know it's it's unconventional. But you know, we're doing something for you know, the ankles, the knees, the shoulders. We're trying to do something. I try to incorporate something into every workout. So that's kind of something. I know those guys are doing up there. I know they're doing it anywhere in the country because no one wants that. No one wants an injury to happen. There's yeah. not one person on this earth that wants that to happen. So no one has that magical cure that like if you do this. This will happen, and you will be perfect. But you do the best you can, you do, and you attempt at trying to prevent those kind of things from happening. Yeah,
1: so. I did a whole segment where we were talking about why that hasn't been developed yet. The uh, perfect crystal ball to say, hey, this guy's <laughs> going to get injured, don't let him do it. But it still hasn't happened yet. They've come up with some pretty unique things. where invest to try and figure out when a player fatigues, so you, need, you can uh, call him. Know, tell them, hey, you need to start uh, taking a little bit easier in practice right now or stop practice altogether. So they're trying to figure out some things like that to try and figure out when injuries happen, but it's almost like space age. It hasn't it, quite got there yet. It just hasn't. You're right. It's like space age. Like everybody <laughs> think, and
7: everybody thinks they know. Like You uh-huh. talk to most coaches, and there's always like, well, I've got this one little thing I can't tell you, but I've got this one little thing that will fix your whole hamstring problem. I bet it doesn't. You know, if <laughs> yeah. I had to guess, I'm not, you know, I, I, I bet it doesn't. I bet there's always freak things that can come up and happen. You know, dehydration yeah. plays a factor. There's things that a lot of things, different movement variables that are happening um, that play a part in injuries. So I, I don't think anyone's got it figured out. I don't know if anybody ever will figure it out. I mean, there's always yeah. different things going on. But I would say
1: there's three injuries that every strength conditioning coach, athletic trainer, and sports medicine physician, if you can uh, figure out how to get them either stopped or how to get them back on the field faster, you will make uh, millions and millions of dollars. It's it's uh, hamstring pulls, Ooh, wow. hamstring strains. You know, that's a very common one, and, and it takes a long time of these elite athletes get them back. Uh, ankle uh, sprains because every athletic trainer is the bane of every athletic training uh, program everywhere, and how, how do we get it back faster than two to three weeks? Uh, and, and that's early. And then uh, – Cramping. How do you prevent it oh, in the first place? God. And how do you, once they start, how do you get rid of them? That's just, that's always the things we're dealing with. You know, this. Yep. it's a cool night. It is not even hot. You're not dehydrated. And some dude's cramping. That's cramped every game for the last 14, you know, weeks. <laughs> and you've done everything. You've hydrated them well. You made sure they're all their metabolites are well. And here we go. We get the cramping thing going again. So, yeah, it's tough. Ferris, you had a question for Hagen?
2: No, I was going to say I would add uh, groin pulse to yeah, that. Work. I think that's, that's right. the most devastating yeah, that's, injury you know anyone this, but, could ever. Yeah. Well, Ferris Never had a have. groin pull on a
1: hiking injury, and he is a uh, – not let us forget about it. He, he enjoys talking to It was about more this. like a
2: leaping injury. I was leaping like 30 feet from a rock to a rock yeah. over like Boulder to boulder. Yeah.
7: Elite jumping is what they call it. <laughs> <laughs> Elite jumping. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes,
1: yes, sir. So, Coach Little here, tell us uh, uh, with D1 Abilene what we currently can expect or what some things coming up with the uh, big holidays. Obviously, have Christmas coming up, and then you got the New Year's. Always have kind of an influx of people trying to get ready for that New Year's resolution and, hey, how can I get better? from where I am currently to where I need to get. What are some things uh, D1 Abilene has going so on? So
7: we're kind of in the works right now. Um, we're talking with the head strength coach here, David Hess, but yeah. we just got done doing a Friendsgiving um, yeah, top was, promotion. We, awesome. all, we yeah. had like a Friday workout. Bring your family. Bring somebody. We just want you to be in the building. We want to have a good workout the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah. And, we had we got it on. There was like forty people. Yeah. I, I was on the board yelling and screaming. I mean, it was intense. I wish I had jumped in with it. Yeah, yeah. But you know, with some, coming up in Christmas, we're kind of talking about doing something similar to that mm-hmm. on Christmas. You know, your oh, family's yeah. in town. You you got cousins out of town. You know, everybody, cousins, brothers, sisters, yeah. everybody's coming in town to see you. We want you to come up here and work out. And you're we just laying to, around eating food, laying on the couch. You're laying there be, watching yeah, TV. Right. You're watching. Hey, why don't we go get a workout? In. Yeah. And you don't have to come up here and make it the hardest workout ever, which you guys always do,
1: by the way. Which we anyway. we attempt. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. we attempt.
7: You know fun quote unquote fun yeah. um, but no, we try to make it fun, entertaining, it interacting, is. and you take it how you want to. you know you can bring a family member even if they don 't ever work out we'll we'll modify it. We want you to come work out, and I think that 's something big that 's coming up that I'm, i I know myself i 'm looking forward to after thanksgiving i can 't even imagine what the christmas deal is going to be like uh, it 's going to be yeah. crazy but Go
1: ahead. I was just going to say one of the great things about D1 when watching a young coach like you motivate us is it really is for all different age groups. And here's the thing I think people think sometimes about D1 Abilene is that you have to be an athlete, already have to be an elite athlete or whatever it is that you think you need to be to be able to start. And you got to find a place to start. I was talking to a, a very nice lady this morning. She's uh, my same age. We're almost 50 years old. And she the entire time was telling me all her aches and pains and how old she was and what she couldn't do. She never once mentioned what she could do. And so I finally said I would love to have you be part of D1 Abilene, to try and see if we can get you feeling like, you know, not like what you feel currently, but you can feel like you did when you were in your 20s and 30s and athletically still move and, and, and feel good. And she was like, well, I can't because I work an 8-to-5 job and I have to walk the dog afterwards. And I thought in my mind, you you, you have to at some point in time say – I understand that exercise is that good for me that I'm going to make it a priority somewhere on the list. You know, it's, I don't know if it, uh, it goes above the dog or not, but, I mean, it's got to be somewhere at least right. even to the dog maybe, right? right? And you have to understand that it gives you all the benefits of the health benefits you get from it, the mood elevation you get from it, the increased quality of life, the increased quantity of life you get from it, all those things that you have to find a way to make it a priority to take care of yourself. And I think a lot of people this time of the year, are thinking that way because maybe they've let themselves slip you know we're get busy with life maybe you got kids maybe you're a young college student you get busy with finals maybe you're you know in a point in time where your business is so grown that you're having to put a lot of time into your work whatever the excuse is there's always an excuse i've figured it out I'm, I'm a little older than you i'm a lot older than you Hagen. actually could be your dad but there's always an excuse no matter what stage of life you're in as to why not why how why i can't take care of myself because I'm so busy. One of the things you do at D One Abilene is you really find an exercise program that is modified for whatever that individual at whatever stage they are in their life and whatever fitness level they are in their life, you fit it to that group no matter who it is.
7: Yes. And I think that's something we do if I had to say we do a pretty good job of something here at D one, I would say I'd put that in the top three right there. (laughs) Because that's you know, we have new members every day and we make a point. Like I myself will run across the turf screaming, you know, (laughs) at the people who are doing the workout, but I want to go talk to the people, the new people coming in. I want to get to know you, I want to get to know your background, I want to know your, you know, what workouts have you done, which ones do you like. I like to do that, so then when I have to make a modification on the turf, or we have a separate workout drawn up, I kind of know what direction to go with that person. And I think, like you said, like coming up, this is the big time of the year. Everybody's kind of like feeling bad about, well, I didn't really work out this year, but guess what, starting in this new year, Mm -hmm. we're going to get it on. We're going to go work out somewhere, we're going to have a lot of excitement, and I think here at D1, I think. myself, every coach here brings something new to the table.
1: And you did the same thing. I mean, I I just know your personality. You did the same thing when you treated Eric Berry when you were trying with the Kansas City Chiefs. When you were trying to do strength conditioning with him, you treated him the same way. You wanted to know him. You wanted to get the most out of him, even though he's an elite athlete, as you would that first person, first-time person to come into D1 who's maybe not worked out, not been in, in an elite conditioned athlete for years, you're going to treat them the same way and try and get them to the best place they can be. And that was the biggest – you're exactly right. And
7: that was the biggest lesson I learned being in Kansas City. And I think that applies to the D1 way too is, you know, I treat the best, the elite athlete, the same way I treat the, first, the you know person just getting started and working yeah. out. I want you to feel comfortable. I want you to feel like, hey – I want to come back tomorrow because this guy motivates me to be better. Yeah, And I don't want to burn a guy out the first day. Like if you come in, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to sit here, you know, look, and he's like, man, that was a good workout, but I don't know if I can walk anymore because you're not going to come back. Yeah. If we burn you out the first day, there's no shot of you coming back consistently. The most,
1: yeah, the most of the time that's not the <laughs> coaches that do this. It's ex-athletes like myself that come in the first day that <laughs> want to try and feel like they were when they were 20 and try and go that space. Yeah. You eventually can get there, by the way. You just got to yes. take some time. Ferris?
2: Hey, Hagan, I got a question for you, but first, how cool was it to watch your your friend Eric Berry go back to Atlanta and get a pick six and a pick two to seal the victory in front of his family?
7: Yeah, I was so pumped. I was watching the I was watching the TV screen, jumping up and down, screaming. I was like, you know, number one, I love everybody on that team and everybody at, you know that I was affiliated with, but number two, you know, a lot of everything that's happened to Eric Berry, I think that's an awesome story. Like, I just, I love, the, you know, I love comeback stories. I love. By the, the way, if you don't and,
1: know Eric Berry's story, he had lymphoma and uh, went through cancer treatment for a year, came back and was successful. So.
7: Right, right. And I love those kind of stories. That, that Like that just it makes me shiver because that's kind of why we do what we do. We want yeah. to bring people back, and we want them to succeed. And that's something he's done there. And I think that was – I mean, I was in front of the TV. I don't even know. I was screaming, going nuts. <laughs> I mean, it was just incredible, you know. Yeah. I feel like I was there. I feel like I'd pick the ball off and run for him. I don't know. That's hey, how I felt.
1: By the way, Ferris and I, we don't know what Andy Reid's like in person. I mean, we just know what is what he's like on the field coaching. Oh,
0: I know what
7: he's like what's he like as a person you know what he is by far one of the greatest human beings that i have ever met oh really I, I, I gotta be honest with you i think as far as being a a good citizen and doing the right thing i think i've learned more from him than i've learned out of anybody in my entire life like awesome. he, he he you know as far as coaches go he probably is one of the most highly respected coaches that i in my coaching pool i would consider him like he taught me more life lessons you know and not directly it didn't yeah. have to be you know it wasn't like he was you know hey, here's the intern Hagan little, let's go make a – you know, and he did he'd make a point to come talk to me, but you know what he did it through his actions, the way he coaches, yeah. the way he handles himself about you know, practices and things, I kind of try to emulate that a lot of times. Well, I, I've learned a lot from yeah. him. You know, it's just treat everybody the same way. You yeah. know, you want to be treated like – it's just one of those things that you've got to learn as a coach is it's about relationships. It's about yeah. making relationships and knowing your yeah. personnel. So. It
1: absolutely is. Ferris, I know you're back with the Kansas City Chiefs now. You've had a gr- you have had can know a guy that now knows Andy Reid personally and is a great individual. Kansas City Chiefs are back on top. Eric Berry defeats lymphoma and comes back and plays. I mean, I know you said you were going to – Get rid of the NFL, go only CFL. But I think you're back full full tilt now. I mean, you have a reason to be.
2: Love Eric Berry, like the Chiefs. I'm not happy with that answer from Hagen because I'm trying as a fan to hold on to my dislike for Andy Reid. And when he's I hear he's so a good hard. guy, he I'm trying so hard to not like that guy. But man, that makes me that makes me like him. Dagummit! You know, he's back full. I'm a fan. The fans have to hold
7: on to their like something. You what know? you believe something in. Negative. Stay with what you believe in. Yeah. Though. Yep.
1: So uh, we got just a last minute here, so if someone wants to find out about D1 Abilene and see if they want to come train, you also do personal training. Coach Little does personal training as well. So if someone comes to do personal training or they want to do a D1 Abilene class, you work with a lot of the young kids as well, high school and junior high and even the younger kids. So if uh, families out here listening and they're driving right now and want to find out how they do a, a free trial at D1 Abilene, how they go about doing that.
7: Well, number one, they could call us. You know, here at D1, obviously, yeah. you could call our phone. The big thing I would suggest is come by and talk to us yeah. because that's the that's number the one thing. Way. You want to meet the guy that's going to be coaching you yeah. or coaching your son or daughter. I think it'd be awesome to come by, meet us, check the facility out. And, and see what we have to offer before yeah. you make any decisions.
1: All right, man can do have a better interview with coach Hagan Little man if you want to come down and find out more about D1 Abling and maybe how you can work with Coach Little uh, like I, I do, my family does uh, you can do that by going to d1abling.com or like you said, come up here and check it out yourself. Hey we'll be right back with more Docs and Jocks We'll be talking to Scott Williams, uh, former Chicago Bulls three-time NBA champion when we come back here on Docks and Jocks.) Heaven. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you inside D1 Abling Radio Studios. Just catching a show for the very first time, feel free to go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and uh, you can follow our show any way you want to there, as well as you can download our iTunes podcast at Docs and Jocks. D-O-X-N-J-O-X, and listen to our show at your convenience. Hey, I do want to say thank you to all our wonderful sponsors, including Lawrence Hall Chevrolet, First Financial Bank. Could not do our show without our wonderful sponsors. I want to say thank you to them. I do uh, also want to say thank you to my co-host, Ferris Potter, for joining me each week. He is the longtime uh, radio broadcaster for Grand Canyon University, who uh, we are fortunate to have on uh, his uh, one of his uh, colleagues, Scott Williams, better known as three-time NBA champion uh, with the Chicago Bulls. Scott Williams, a uh, longtime NBA Uh, Thank you so much, Scott, for being on the show today.
0: Dr. Dan, uh, Michael, I appreciate you guys having me back on, but you know, that's funny when you said better known as three time NBA world champion. I think a lot of people just remember me getting Michael Jordan's bags on and off the plane and make sure I had that number 23 uniform, you know, clean and, and, uh, and stars, not wrinkled, uh, a long, little longer shorts. Not the Fab Five shorts, but a little longer than most guys in the NBA were wearing. Hey, there's a, there's a lot <laughs> I of got people. Up to the arena on time.
1: All of us uh, during that love basketball during that era would have traded spots with you uh, at any time. Man, we'd love to carry number 23's uniform. So you had a great career on your own, I right? Had,
0: I had the best. I had the best seat in the NBA by far and away. I always feel blessed. I I actually found a box of old VHS tapes from uh, a oh, lot of wow. games versus the Knicks and the Cavs, yeah. the Lakers, and the Trailblazers. So I've been... Uh, as I'm getting older, I'm going back. I went and bought a VCR for 15 bucks, secondhand. Hooked <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it up in front of the TV with a couple of cables and then uh, reminiscing, yes, about the good old days, back when I was uh, in my fighting weight. Hey, you know
1: what, though, Scott? Back in the uh, late 80s when you were playing for North Carolina and then went on and played in the NBA in the, all through the 90s, that's back when men were men in the NBA, man. Some of those games you played against the Knicks and some of those guys they had and you going up against them, I tell you what, that was a man's game.
0: Oh yeah, I still I still think I got bruises from Charles Oakley and Patrick <laughs> Ewing's elbows, yeah. uh, crossing my back shoulders and and uh, you know e- even the Cavalier teams I think were probably you know some of the best teams that uh, in the NBA that never won a ch- didn't get a chance to to win a championship just because uh, you know they they were too good at the wrong time just not good enough to beat MJ and and Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson but a uh, lot lot of wars back there it's a different game now it's Uh, In all honesty, I don't enjoy the style of play today. I appreciate the athletes, yeah, but I don't enjoy the style of play. Um, I know we had individual stars, but it seems to me it was still more of a team concept than I than I feel it's the product that's on the floor nowadays.
1: Right, Pierce.
0: Hey Scott, I was going to ask you if you enjoyed it, but you you just answered that. Is it? I mean, have we
2: really transitioned to everybody just recruiting in college and even the pros? They're looking for the best athlete and. And they're not necessarily looking for the best basketball player.
0: Oh, you know, absolutely! That, that trend has been going on for quite some time, and yeah, there's a, there's a lot of athletic players that in, in skill players, uh, you know, guys know how to shoot a shoot a three point shot, or they can they can rim run. But uh, you know, the basketball IQ amongst most of the players aren't as high as uh, they were back in the day when when um, when I played. I think one of the reasons being undrafted and um, and having to, to try out for one of the best teams in the league at the time, the reason why I made the team was because I was taught by Dean Smith uh, how to play the game. Yeah, And Phil Jackson's systems was such that it was a team concept, even though we had the brightest star in the league, we still played that triangle offense where you had to be involved offensively, reading reacting to the defense, uh, and being making sure that you were in the right place to uh, make all that thing work. And that was that was the biggest feather in the cap that I had against some of the other guys trying out for that last spot on the team. That is the reason why I think I, I earned that final roster spot.
1: Hey, we're talking to Scott Williams, uh, three-time NBA uh, champion with the Chicago Bulls, now currently Grand Canyon University uh, TV uh, commentator, analyst. Hey, Scott, uh, one of the things I read gr- uh, about your uh, growing up here is you grew up as a Lakers fan. I think uh, as I as I get older now, and I'm nearly 50 years old, I think uh, the NBA and some of the fans are forgetting What a great matchup when you had Magic Johnson and the Larry Bird era, and they were going against each other not only in college, but then those great Lakers-Celtic rivalries. Talk about growing up and being a Lakers fan and what a great rivalry that was and really how it brought basketball back into uh, the forefront when you had Magic and and Bird going at it.
0: It was fantastic to grow up in Los Angeles during that time period. I think that's one of the reasons why I was so passionate about basketball and fell in love with the game of basketball. you know, Magic Johnson being the brightest star <laughs> in the league along with Larry Bird. Uh, it was easy to watch those teams. You want to talk about Showtime. They, they had fun. I know the Suns kind of recreated that here, the six seconds or less, running and gunning when they had Nash and Stoudemire, Joe Johnson, Boris Diaz, and the, and the like. But uh, that, that to me, was the, was the best time to, to be a basketball fan. I hated Larry Bird and the Pistons yeah, and right. Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish, Joe uh excuse me, uh, Dennis Johnson. What's yeah. It, Joe Johnson. Dennis Johnson. I, I grew up in Los Angeles at a time period. Hated everything about the Boston <laughs> Celtics. Right. Casey Jones and, and, uh, all those cats, but, uh, Bill Walton. Oh my God. I can't remember Bill. Melton, forget Bill Walton. I hated <laughs> Bill Walton. Uh, even to this day, when I see him around <laughs> arenas broadcasting, I still kind of, my corner of my lip kind of goes up <laughs> some 35 years later. Yeah. But, uh, it was a wonderful time to be a player I'm not, i i think that they, the 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 battles that they had the seven games playoff uh final series and uh just just the likes of um the the drama I, I i think was uh it was it was something that you felt like you could cut it with a knife and now with the oversaturation of uh so much exposure um it it doesn't have the same caveat that it that it once that it once did but um, you know the league. The league is is thriving. I, I'm I'm very happy that you know the fans do like the product on the floor. It's just I remember a time when a guy like me had more of an impact yeah. uh, on a game. Right. Because uh, I had more. I had more of a role. I got into the game because it was a team sport, and I think that's what really drew me to it. Even though baseball is a team sport, there's so many individual aspects of it when you're at the at the plate. Um, I think in basketball, you always are having to, to work offensively and defensively as one unit, and that's and that's the thing I loved about the game. And you, you see you see le- a little less and less of that each each and every you know four to five year period. Yeah, it seems like I see less and less of it. Right,
1: fierce.
0: Hey Scott, I, w- I wondered. I, I don't know the
2: story. You grew up in Southern California. How did you get past like the UCLA's
0: and USC's and get all the way out to North Carolina? Uh, well, as much as I liked the Lakers and hated the Celtics, I loved the Bruins and hated USC Trojans. So uh, <laughs> I always, I always thought I would be a Bruin. Uh, there was no doubt about it. I mean, they had fantastic teams over there in Westwood, yeah. um, and I toted a UCLA uh, Bruin backpack probably from about the third grade all the way up until about my freshman year in high school. I carried my books to and from school in that in that in that little tote bag. Um, but when it was my time uh, to be recruited going into my senior year, to tell you quite honestly, the coach at New Seal at the time pretty much botched the recruiting. I was, I was all set to go there. I, you know, I was playing the recruiting game just because it was kind of fun to be wooed by North Carolina and uh, Dean Smith right. and, and Jim Valvano and NC State. And, uh, they had uh, what well, DePaul came calling and Roly Massimino at Villanova, <laughs> yeah. Bobby Crimmins at Georgia Tech. I mean, that was exciting for a 17-year-old kid, but I was going to UCLA. My problem ha- started to begin when UCLA stopped coming to or never came to my games. They stopped calling me, huh. and you got to remember, this is pre-internet, pre-Twitter, pre-cell phones. you got most of your information from uh, the, the newspaper, yeah. And there was constant articles about uh, Walt Hazard, who was the coach at UCLA, going to see a lot of people's games that I considered, you know, my big time rival. Played the four or five spot like I did, six nine, six ten. Guy named Bobby Erbs, a guy named Kevin Walker. I mean, these names would mean nothing to you, but to me, they were my arch rivals. And when I'd meet up against them, I would always dominate. And I couldn't understand why they were, you know, at their games and offering them official visits and offered them scholarships, but weren't contacting me. And meanwhile, I had all these other kids from the Midwest and East Coast meeting with my principals, talking to my teachers, coming to my games. And uh, it just left a real sour taste in my mouth. And their excuse was that a secretary had transposed a digit in my telephone number incorrect oh. every time they called at home. They were getting busy signals. Oh, bummer! Yeah. <laughs> Even as a seventeen-year-old kid, that doesn't hold weight when you're yeah. just forty-five minutes down the road. Yeah. You can jump on the car, jump on the ten freeway, yeah. and, and be you know, at the camp at a campus or at one of my games. So, wow! Uh, I, I kind of just it just uh, it, I knew I wasn't going there. What a great break for! A... I took an official visit, but uh, Reggie Miller was a, a bit of a turd on my visit to me. On top of <laughs> all the other things that happened to me, so I just said, "No, I'm done."
1: What a <laughs> greatest thing that ever Have happened! You in talked North Carolina? to
0: Reggie about that. Oh, sorry, Doctor Dan. Oh. Have you have you have you talked to Reggie about that at all? I, I did because as uh, it turned out later in, in the league, Reggie and I ended up having the same agent. <laughs> <laughs> it was, we had we had dinners <laughs> together sometimes, and I did mention to him from time to time. We I, I, as more of a laughing point at that point, you know. But uh, it all right, worked right. out. For, obviously for for Reggie, and it, and it certainly worked out for me to beat North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, was, yeah. That's probably where I was meant to be. I don't know. Yeah how the cosmos works sometimes, but I couldn't have asked for a better place given some of the things that happened to me.
1: Hey, we're talking to Scott yeah. Williams, three-time NBA champion with the Chicago Bulls, uh, currently a commentator for Grand Canyon University, also a former uh, North Carolina Tar Heel. And uh, Scott, I thought one of the things we could talk about here, I saw a headline, uh, Greg Popovich was uh, talking about a San Antonio Spurs and how they got off to slow starts during games and how that uh, someone had asked him, hey, do they need a good pep talk? Do they need a Newt rockney like speech before the game? And Popovich came back and said, hey, you got to come to work ready. These are grown men. Plumbers don't uh, have to be told to go to work ready. They've got to do their job. We don't need any Newt Rockney-type speeches here. Uh, is, is that always true in an in a NBA locker room? Do you get many pregame speeches? Do they get you revved up, or do you just, you guys are grown men, and you're there to work hard? And with the Chicago Bulls, did you guys know you were, you were there to, to work, and you were going to get it done from the beginning? you were always known as a hustler. I, I,
0: that's what I, did, I did have an opportunity to see those comments earlier this morning on Twitter. i do not sure when he, when he made them, but... Uh, I, I I smiled to myself because Pop is such throwback man. He's not trying to coddle coddle these <laughs> stars today. Right. That average guys five and five, you know, make, making eight figures a year. Just you know, it, it's it's ridiculous that a uh, this day and age that they would have they would ask a question like that. We as men, uh, young men, we we knew that practice was the coach's time. Game was the player's time in the NBA. And we had veterans that policed the locker room and made sure to hold younger players that were still learning accountable for how you went out there on the floor. Uh, so I, th- I think that's, uh, you know, ha- not having a David Robinson, uh, uh, excuse me, David Robinson. He hasn't had David Robinson in a long time. <laughs> Tim, uh, Duncan. Tim Duncan yeah. from a year ago is, is it's not just always the points on the floor, it's that preparation, uh, preparation of. Of gaining a locker room ready to play—that's always been the player's responsibility—and strong leaders on teams understand and realize that.
2: Right,
3: yeah, exactly, Chris.
2: Hey, Scott. Um, bringing it back to, to Phoenix, Arizona, bit, Grand Canyon University had—you know—last week had a great game, a nine-point loss in Louisville. Had a had a win over San Diego State. Uh, Rick Pitino uh, said a lot of comments, but one of the things he mentioned kind of later was he loved these NBA coaches like Dan Marley coming to the college game because they're so good at offense and creating mismatches and doing those things what's your assessment on coach marley you know this is his first head coaching gig he's ever had in his career and this is
0: in his fourth year now at gcu he's doing a great job uh ferris i i, I love coach uh, coach marley i mean I, from the first day i walked on campus i was a little bit like uh patino i knew nothing about grand canyon university i didn't even know where it was that i uh, first time, someone <laughs> in me, my, my thought went up north to the Grand Canyon. I yeah. think, wow, that's a long way to drive to do games. I don't know if I want to. <laughs> <laughs> someone told me, it's you know, it's, over, uh, oh, it's just off a camelback. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I didn't know a whole lot about it. And then when I watched the, the, the practice, and uh, I, I first thing I realized is, oh, he's, rolling, he's running pro sets. I know all these sets. Every, every place that I went, sometimes they had the same name, sometimes they tweaked them, but pretty much the same thing, drag screens, high pick and roll, elbow sets, uh, cross screens, turn fours, turn fives, posting, sometimes posting smaller, uh, uh, posting Josh Braun down on the block sometime against smaller players. Uh, it was all the stuff that I was familiar with. Um, so it's just a matter of making some quick little notations, and I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. there. I see what you're doing. You, you don't play zone defense, right? You know, I don't know a whole lot about zone. I've forgotten all my, my zone defensive principles and trapping and what quadrants and all that stuff. He plays a straight man to man pro uh, on defense. You know, help help if a guy gets beat, maybe pinch down a little bit if there's a mismatch down on the post. They started double-teaming the post. They're getting a little bit better at that and trying to rotate out of transitions, although Pifi do got burned a few times uh, <laughs> by, right, right. by those three-pointers not coming back. They think they, got out of, they got out of that pretty quickly after the dude knocked down three threes in a row, um, back-to-back-to-back possessions. But uh, for the most part, that, that's all it is. And I think for Coach Patino, who spent a short period of time in the league, you know, he picked up on that right away.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Finish. Hey,
0: Scott.
2: I got like 10 seconds. I don't know if you can answer this in 10 seconds. Who do you think for the national championship this year at NCAA? You think Duke or North Carolina?
0: Uh, North Carolina. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah I, I could have uh, done that one. No, I
0: hate all things D-U-K-E. I don't even like to say that
1: way. <laughs> well, that's good. Hey, I can see you. Uh, you're such a great interview, Scott. I appreciate it so much coming on Docs and Jocks. I wish you all the best uh, in your uh, TV uh, analyst spot there for Grand Canyon University. Sounds like only bigger things are coming as they get off of, uh, you know, the Division I probation next year and be there, hopefully be in March Madness. Man, that would be fun to have you back doing some uh, uh, color, color commentary for March Madness after playing in it yourself be, with North Carolina. Uh, be
0: wonderful. We like to call it a transition, not a probation. Oh, that's we'll true. Transition. That yeah. With yeah, that's, that's,
1: that's true. That's true.
0: Thank you guys very much for having me on. Don't wait so long to have me on again. Okay. We'll that's do it.
1: All right. Thank you. All right. We'll be back. Thanks, right Scotty. back with more Docks and Jocks after a short commercial break. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. Glad you're joining us today. If you're just joining us for the first time and want to find out how to follow us more closely, you can do that by going to docsandjocks.com, D O X N J O X.com. And there you can follow us on, uh, find out how to follow us on social media Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. We'd love to have you part of the show any way you can. You can also download our iTunes app by going to Docs and Jocks, D O X N J O X, and get your sports medicine radio show anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Do do want to say thank you to our sponsors, including West Texas Neurosurgeons, Drs. Trammels, Dr. Brown, and Dr. Edelman, as well as Medical Diagnostic Imaging and Abilene Tech. Couldn't do our show without uh, our wonderful sponsors. Also want to say thank you to Texas Sports Hall of Fame, who brings you this segment here on Docs and Jocks. And Ferris, that was a great interview we had with uh, former NBA three-time uh, Chicago Bull. Uh, world champion Scott Williams. I always find him very interesting. He's very entertaining. I think he's going to have a long career as a TV broadcaster analyst because, uh, man, that guy can like paint a picture like nobody's business. Talk about those days when he played against Charles Oakley and Patrick Ewing with the Knicks and the bumps and the bruises. I'll tell you what, he's a cool cool dude.
2: Yeah, he's a storyteller, man. It's funny to hear those guys, those old school guys talk about it. Like he's, He finds him NBA a bit boring now, you know? I mean, it, it's interesting. Everything Steph Curry's doing and those guys and Durant, you always wonder: Would you be able to do that if they were allowed to bump you and handcheck you and fight you as much as these guys? I mean, Jordan did what he did with guys draped all over him, yeah. you know. And and also he he pushed off some, you know, and they didn't call that. So right. it was a different era. It's hard to compare, but yeah, Scotty's awesome, man. He's just a, he's just like a born storyteller, man.
1: Man, you need to get him uh, out there when he's doing his broadcast. Have uh, Michael Jordan come out and join him sometime, and then get him on Docs and Jocks. Can you put that on your list of (laughs) to-dos?
2: Did you see Michael Jordan's uh, speech when he got in the Hall of Fame? I don't think he has any friends. Oh, I know. I don't know what (laughs) happened there. That was, yeah. That was rather
1: disappointing. But, yeah, he had a great career, man. He was fun to watch for sure. I also like talking how Scott Williams talked about that Magic Johnson. Larry Bird era because if you did if you were a Magic yeah. Johnson fan you hated Larry Bird and if you're a Boston Celtics Larry Bird fan you hated Magic Johnson that was part of the uh, NBA lore at the time.
2: Well, I think it's funny too. He talked, you know, he, he he mentioned a couple things that you and I are very familiar with, but half our audience isn't. He had to buy a VCR. That's a video <laughs> cassette recorder, and you watch big tapes with that. Yeah. And um, he also. He didn't go to UCLA because they called his home number and got a busy signal. Yep. <laughs> and half our audience is going, what's a busy signal? Never even ever got one in my life.
1: <laughs> I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's the reason he did not go to UCLA and went to North Carolina is because of a misprint on the secretary's uh, home phone number. <laughs> Golly, <So they> say <laughs> That is bizarre, man. Crazy. Hey, I thought we could well, talk. Well, that,
2: that coach who blew that recruiting, he got fired two years later and Jim Herrick took over the program. So
1: There you go. There maybe was,
2: should, maybe should have paid more attention to may, detail.
1: There are some issues there, apparently. Hey, talk about paying, paying attention to detail. What we do here on Docs and Jocks is talk about what's going on in the sports entertainment world with the sports medicine uh, uh, niche. So uh, if you look at the uh, UFC right now, man, uh, paying attention to detail matters. Anthony Pettis, who was going to be fighting a uh, Max Holloway for the interim featherweight championship after that uh, was vacated by uh, Conor McGregor. Uh, Pettis was going to fight him, but he weighed in today at 148. Well, the problem with featherweight is you have to be under 145. So that three pounds overweight, Ferris, ends up costing Pettis 20% of whatever the purse is. And he will not fight. If he wins the fight, he will not be given the featherweight championship as he would have uh, previously. So he's still going to fight the fight. He doesn't get a championship out of it no matter what. And he loses 20% of what his take would have been. That's an expensive three pounds. That could literally cost him a hundred thousand dollars or more. Wow.
2: That's funny to me that you would that you would do that. I mean I wrestled back in the day and and, and you were allowed to do different things to lose weight that you're not allowed to do now, like, like doing push ups with the sweats, you know, the plastic. on yeah, and stuff. Yeah. You could lose three pounds in like an hour back in the day. And I get this guy's already pretty ripped but that's like water weight water weight. I'm shocked you would go I'm shocked a professional would even go to a weigh-in and not make weight yeah unless that's it was, amazing unless he was
1: like 151 and he dropped down to 148 and just couldn't have any more to lose maybe just too big but yeah you would think yeah, with that much I, money on the line you could
2: hydrate yourself yeah. I mean, it's not healthy but you could almost dehydrate yourself and make weight and then go and get an IV or something i mean i'm not i'm not recommending you ever do that trust me yeah they put a bunch <laughs>
1: of uh, stipulations on that now so people didn't kill themselves you know a lot of uh, young wrestlers were dehydrating themselves so bad they were yeah. spitting and they were taking diuretics and making themselves urinate off any fluid they had on purpose and been wearing these sweat jackets, so they were they were actually there was, had been some deaths and so they started uh, looking to see how hydrated you are they measured your hydration levels by looking at your kidney function during a test so to see if you'd been overly dehydrating yourself and you couldn't do that if you made weight but you were too dehydrated you couldn't it didn't count and you got penalized. So anyway, that's that's uh, one of the problems you had when uh, wrestling. So it sounds like some of this stuff still happens in UFC. But that three pounds that Anthony Pettis did lose lost him a lot of money.
2: I know a lot of people know me now as being you know really really fit and muscular and ripped you know and a, a great you know great looking dude with the but When I was a sophomore, yeah, with the, with a the very weak run. Um, <laughs> when I was a sophomore, I weighed a hundred and two pounds, wow. one hundred and three pounds, and I lost. I lost weight so I could wrestle ninety eight. <laughs> wow! So I was you, cutting weight. Did I you dominate? Like a, no, I think I'm sorry. I weighed one hundred five and I lost weight to wrestle wow. ninety eight.
1: Did you wrestle ninety eight and win? Yeah, it was actually
2: varsity because there weren't that many people small enough. I wasn't that good, but I would I would go to some meets and I I just win because they didn't have a ninety eight pounder. <laughs> That's awesome. I was pretty good. Yeah, I, I won more than I lost, and then as I got as I went up in the brackets, I you know I wasn't very strong. So
1: so as a wrestler, you either went uh, really, did, really small, well. or really really big? It sounds like one of the two. So. Hey, uh, one of yeah. the, we talk about it here, and we, remember we have a mental strength coach here at D1 Abilene, uh, Tracy Mutton, the lovely Miss Tracy Mutton, uh, runs the Edge Mental Strength, and you can get a free evaluation by going by going to docsandjocks.com and click on the Mental Edge Strength Training, but uh, she runs that program here. So I thought we would talk about uh, some of the uh, sports medicine aspects of your mental uh, strength. And so, you know, Ferris, we mentioned this with Scott Williams in the last segment, but Greg Popovich, I thought I'd give you the full quote he made this last week. He was talking about the Spurs. And was being asked about their slow start to games and how they just seemed to like they get off real sluggish before they either come back and win it or this last game they just lost. They're eighteen and five, so they're doing good on the season, but these slow starts are really hurting them in the first half. So when uh, Papa Bish was asked about uh, this during the interview, he said uh, basically, I don't remember playing the game tonight. my guys play the game, and they make a, they, have, they make a lot of money to get ready to play. I don't need any new mm-hmm. rockney speeches." If you're a plumber, you, don't, you, you, just don't, you just do your job. You don't get any work if you don't do your job. I don't think a plumber needs a pep talk before he goes out and plums. If a doctor botches operations, he's not, he's not a doctor anymore. If you are a basketball player, you come ready. It's called maturity. It's your job. I thought that was a great quote. <laughs> but they were asking whether or not he needed to give more pep talks before games to get him ready. But it sounds like he feels like his mental uh, preparation before the game is, we pay you a lot of money go do your job, you're an adult, you're mature, go to get it done.
2: Yeah, no, I, they've got some younger guys on that team now, but they've also got some veterans. I. It's funny because Pop usually doesn't give that long of an answer to anything. <laughs> you true. know, usually yeah. he kind of looks at you with yeah. disgust and says, no, that's stupid. Yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering if how much of that was, instead of giving that speech in front of his team, <laughs> he was giving that speech in the media, knowing all those guys are going to read that. Yeah. Not the Tony Parkers and Ginoblis and Gasols and those but the younger guys, and they're yeah. going to read that and go, oh, shoot, coaches tick. We better, we yeah, better get really it together, good. you know? Get it together,
1: yeah. Come out playing hard. But, yeah, you do it. He's expect right, to, right? Yeah. He's right. Yeah, why should it take the second, till the second half to get, get playing and hustle and do your thing? You can hustle from the beginning of the game. You just got to get mentally ready to do that. So, yeah, you, I hate to see him come out yeah. and getting, uh, you know throttled the first half, and then they have to come back and try and win it in the second half. Uh, the other thing in the NBA right now, we saw Boston Celtics point guard, Isaiah Thomas, he undergoes a PRP injection, which is called a platelet-rich plasma injection for a patellar tendonitis he'd been dealing with over a long period of time. And uh, this was first popularized, fair. I know you and I have talked about this here on Docs and Jocks. We've had a uh, PRP uh, fellowship-trained sports medicine physician, Dr. Jennifer Johnson, who's at Texas Sport and Spine here in Abilene, my medical partner. She's come on and talk about uh, basically what a PRP injection is, but we're going to explain it again but it was first popularized by Kobe Bryant back in 2011 when he was traveling over to Europe to have it done. This goes back to our earlier conversation. A tendon is what connects a muscle to the bone. So. Your patellar tendon is uh, what your quadriceps muscle becomes and attaches to the tendon right above your knee, and then the tendon runs above your kneecap and attaches down in your lower bone called your tibia in your lower leg. And so that tendon is like what we're talking about. It can fray over time. You get the micro scarring in the tendon. It becomes painful, so whenever you try and jump, which is what your quads contract to try and jump, it puts pressure on the tendon, so it becomes very painful. Well, they're getting uh, these platelet-rich plasma injections done, and what you're doing there is you're, Basically take an Isaiah Thomas will go in, he'll get an IV started, they'll pull off his blood, about 15 cc's or so, or milliliters. They'll uh, spin it down in a centrifuge, a machine that just spins real fast that separates out the different layers of your blood. They'll take the layer called your platelet-rich plasma layer, which holds your blood's uh, healing properties. There's lots of growth factors Uh, insulin-like growth factor there's uh, ig IG, i'm I'm not going to start naming them all there's a bunch of different growth factors (laughs) that your body uses to try and initiate a healing response and then she'll go under uh, the doctor who did isaiah thomas's injection will go under ultrasound which is a sound wave being bounced off the patellar tendon where you can see the deficits in the muscle or the tendon where there's an injury and then they go back in and they inject that platelet-rich plasma in properties of your blood back into those areas. So now your body sees that, and it gets a healing response, an inflammatory response going, and tries to heal it down. So that's the idea behind platelet-rich plasma. It's called a regenerative uh, medicine. We now see stem cells, amniotic fluid, trying to track stem cells, those types of things. But you're trying to basically fool your body into a healing response using its own healing growth factors. And that's not performance-enhancing
2: drug or something, because you're just using your, your own... Your own body, your own stuff that you've produced. Yeah,
1: yeah, yes, but you know it's interesting. You You're said changing that. it, though. You are changing it because you know if you think about blood doping, remember originally what Lance Armstrong was accused of blood doping. What what cyclists do is they take their blood, they pull it off in an IV, they take it off, maybe maybe they take a you know a pint, they put it in the uh, right. refrigerator so it's the cells stay alive. Then right before the race, and so then they then they make their own blood again, right? So they make it all back what they lost. Then right before the race, they pump in that extra pint. Now to give them, or extra unit, they give them more blood that they have more oxygen-carrying capacity. So in a way, you could say, that's just your own body's own own right. tissue, so why does that matter? But you're using it artificially. So it, it is a weird, weird line you draw when you start trying to figure out what you can and can't do to heal injuries versus performance-enhancing so and when
2: kobe was doing it it wasn't even really legal or or done in the united states right that's why he was going overseas
1: to do it it was legal it just wasn't being done it wasn't standard of care and insurances weren't covering those types of things so there was no illegalities to it it was just a matter of most physicians hadn't started using it or seen it as beneficial long term studies hadn't come out on it yet so now we're getting more and more evidence that there is something to this and it probably does work so the uh, athletes have figured it out, and so they're using PRP injections and things like that to try and heal and try and get these injuries to calm down. Yeah, what are you smiling about?
2: I'm, I'm laughing at Kobe Bryant calling his primary care and him going, "Oh, I can't. That's not covered.
1: I can't. I can't do that. Got <laughs> yeah. to go overseas."
2: Yeah, okay. <laughs>
1: well, the guy that was kind of the leading you know, expert on it was a guy over in Germany. That's where he went.
2: Yeah, we actually have a Josh Braun, who's who's our you know our best player at GCU, and now Dwayne Russell's kind of taking that over. Josh is on the bid. Just had his fifth knee surgery on the same knee uh feel bad for the kid great kid though and um, a, a little meniscus issue and he's back Had it on Tuesday they said about 4 weeks um, he's having a PRP i think next week oh, there to, try you go. to help speed that healing yeah. as well
1: there you go so it's very very common now you see you see for hamstring strains yep. patellar tendonitis, uh, achilles tendonitis uh, tinn- uh, lateral epicondylitis tennis elbow is another name for that so you'll see those types of uh, injections being done to try and get people feeling better uh, because, you know, we're just trying to – any way that you can get get you back feeling better quicker and uh, get keep you on the court, uh, obviously, in the long run. These teams are paying a lot of money to have these guys come out there. Hey, speaking of uh, wanting to see a guy back out on the court again or back out on the playing field or on the track, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Looks like he's been cleared to return for the ninth, For – I'm sorry, for the 2017 season. Remember, uh, Jr. has basically missed the uh, most of the 2016 season. He was trying to come back near the end, but having, kept having uh, sequela or consequences – of uh, concussions. And so, obviously, when you're speeding around a track, making a lot of fast left turns going 200-something miles an hour, you want to have all your facilities there, faculties there, I mean. And so he uh, was having some problems, I think, with dizziness and disequilibrium and balance problems, which are things you don't want to be having in a car going that fast. So it looks like he's been cleared. So it's good news to see him back out racing again, and uh, we'll see how he does. But I think anytime your big star comes back and can bring in a crowd, Dale Earnhardt Jr. does that, obviously, in NASCAR Uh, Tiger Woods now back playing again in golf. Uh, You want all your star key players out there playing. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. is is Mr. NASCAR, no doubt about it.
0: Yeah,
2: you know, with him, um, I mean, is is it a fair comparison to say he's like Tiger Woods? Um, In his sport, yeah. I mean, he's, he's famous, but he hasn't won near. I mean, Tiger was famous and he won. Dale Earnhardt Jr. doesn't
1: win near as much as Tiger Here's does. Here's how I think about it. I, as a casual fan of both sports golf and NASCAR, if I was going to sit down on a Sunday and it just happened to be on the channel that either one of those are on, if Tiger Woods is playing as a, a, in golf, I'm watching. If Dale Earnhardt Jr. is on TV and I'm watching NASCAR, I'm watching. I don't know if he's won, lost. I just know that name, and I know that I'm going to be watching that sport because I want to see if that guy wins. So it's. I think he has that kind of a fan attraction, even though he hasn't won as much as his career as uh, – as competitive as Tiger Woods has been? Probably not, but you're going to sit down and watch him as a fan. People hear that he's, he's, he's on uh, TV. Hey, our last segment here real quick, Ferris, I just want to mention this. If you want to watch a really good documentary of uh, concussions and football and find out where you kind of stand, where the evidence is currently with the concussions in football, uh, real sports on HBO, done by Bryant Gumbel, done very professionally. It had the Boston University researchers who are doing a ton of work into the young athlete's brain, looking to see if there's injuries in young athletes, uh, even from uh, minor concussions. You can do that. It's a real sports segment on HBO. These are kind of the things I think are help promoting. Uh, football and trying to keep it safe and figuring out ways to make it safer long run so we still have football around for the next generations. Hey, from all of us here on Docs and Jocks, myself, Dr. Dan as well as my co-host, Ferris Potter. I want to say thank you for listening to this segment of Docs and Jocks. Remember, you can go to our iTunes podcast and listen to us at Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Love having you be part of the show any way you can. Remember, you can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you name it. We'd love to have you be part of our show any way you can. We'll see you next week from all of us here on Docs and Jocks. So long.